Rappaport is here. He's a retiring veterinarian. He's going to be meeting Gunther this week. Uh, I'm going to get the two of them together and let them have some conversation. Both of their wives' names are Cheryl. That's easy to remember. And uh, then Thurman Scrivener is, is going to be ministering in the bulk of the meetings. And, and I thought to myself, how, how do I introduce him? I mean, what do I say about a man that I don't know real well, but I spent an entire day with and felt like that I went through two semesters of college with him? Um, and, and, you know, the only thing that I can think of is Jesus made a comment. He said, except you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And my introduction to you this morning with Thurman Scrivener is, here's a man who has childlike faith. If God says it, he believes it, and he acts upon it. And he's going to do everything within his power to get you to believe it and act upon it as well. So without anything further, Thurman, I give it to you. Let's give them a welcome. should be on now, right? Good morning. Praise the Lord. It's a great privilege to be here with you all today. And this walk of faith that I've stepped over in, I never dreamed what God would do. But I had no idea what the king would do and the tests and the trials that he would put me through to continue to increase my faith walk. But today we're going to talk about And this week, we're going to talk about these great and awesome promises that God has given us in His Word. And of course, uh, I used to, and still do, call my teaching on Saturday uh, in Dallas that we do once a month. Now, we did do it twice a month, but we've dropped back to one. I called them a healing school. But I think about the people in the church that have never been taught healing from the Word of God, and I think about the number of people, men and women, that have loved God with all their heart, that have been a member of the denomination that I was a member of, the Southern Baptist, that would have never went to a healing school. If you call it a healing school, they won't go, because they've never been taught it in church. And so... I go back, and of course, over the years, as I've had these things, I remember a couple, uh, they were in their 40s, uh, late 40s, they were already a grandmother and grandfather a couple of times over, and uh, she had uh, arthritis in her knees for several years, and she had had migraine headaches for several years, <clears throat> but there was something that could help her a little. And then she came to the point where she had terminal lung cancer, and now then there's nothing can be done by medicine. Thank God for good doctors, because if we didn't have good doctors, here's a guy that had already been dead a long time ago. But I didn't know what was available through faith. Just like this woman, now her daddy and her grandfather both were a Southern Baptist preacher. And with a family line like that, uh, neither one of them knew anything about healing. So when she heard that there was a Southern Baptist deacon at that time in the Dallas area that was teaching a healing school, she said, this guy is a Baptist deacon, and he's teaching a healing school, and he's doing it in a Baptist church. 
She said, I'll go over there and see what he has to say. Well, they drove over to the Dallas area. She said, now, if you hadn't have been a Southern Baptist, I would have never come. If you'd have been one of them crazy Pentecostals, she said, I would have never come. Now, some of y'all in here know what I'm talking about. You know, we don't realize we're the body of Christ. You know, it makes no difference. Uh, People that have had the privilege to walk in the Pentecostal movement have had a privilege that a lot of us in the Baptists don't even know is out there. You know, so, but anyway, we, we have all been deceived by the enemy. And like they said a while ago, we have an enemy, and he's real. He's very real. And so this couple, they would have never come. But if I had have taught the power of the Word of God and how to make it work for you, I think more people would come listen to the Word. And so I think I'm going to change the terminology, and I'm going to call what I do how to walk in the power of the promises of God's Word. And that doesn't seem to offend anybody up front, you know, and it makes people think, well, if he's going to teach me about the promises of God and I'm a Christian, I want to know what he has to say. And so this couple, of course, they did come to a healing school. And when they came, this woman and her husband went to church every time the door was open. You know, like I say, Grandpa, uh, Daddy were Southern Baptist preachers. They stood in a pulpit somewhere every Sunday she had been to church. I mean, from the time she was born until now. Never knew anything about the promises of God. But that's the way I was, too, as a Southern Baptist deacon and a Sunday school teacher. Well, they came over to Dallas, and at that time I was teaching one of the Baptist preachers. Now, I was a member of a Southern Baptist church in Justin and had been there for years, and I had been a member of another big Southern Baptist church in Louisville for 25 years before that. But neither one of them, when I went to those and told them I'd like to teach a healing school in church, the pastor said no. Isn't that amazing? You cannot do it. And I said, well, I just want to teach them, people, what I've learned about God's Word and how to walk in health. No, you can't teach it. No. So uh, a guy I met, the Lord gave me a way to get in touch with a man that I didn't even know him. But he allowed me to come to Hearst, actually, and teach a healing school in a Baptist church. And I didn't even know him. I was not a member of his church or anything. And he just, he brought me in, talked to me one afternoon and said, you're real. He just handed me a key to church. And he said, here it is. I thought, isn't this amazing? You know, so God allowed me to teach a healing school in that Baptist church. I taught it there for a few years, one Saturday a month, one Saturday a month. But this couple came to it since it was in a Baptist church and I was a Baptist deacon. I mean, I'm still working in the workforce. I'm not a pastor of a church or nothing. Don't ever expect to be one. You know, don't have any idea that God's going to call me out of the workforce and put me into the ministry full time. Had no idea. And so this couple came to a healing school and they heard the promises of God and they heard all about sin, you know, because I have also... I mean, when I talk about sin, I always use Scripture right down to the last letter because I've learned that a lot of people don't want to hear that I'm sick because I'm sinning. 
You know, so, but I've learned that to be the truth also. And so they came and they heard. And, of course, I realize now that we think when we classify you as a sinner, this means you're out murdering, raping somebody, lying, stealing, cheating, all the things we classify as bad sin. But you can sin and be a great Christian and come to church every day. You can just make a wrong confession with your mouth and step over into sin. It's that easy. And this week I'll teach you some of those things and some of the ways I've learned these things and how I've done that and how I've opened the door to the enemy to attack me. And later God revealed to me what I've done. And, and if once I tell you some of these things, you'll probably think, no way, that's not sin. But it depends on who's judging, you or God. And his word. And so I've learned a lot of things here. So anyway, I was teaching about what makes people sick. And uh, this young couple, after four hours, now I always teach a healing school, four hours minimum. Two hours and then a 30-minute break and then back for two or two and a half more hours. I know that's a lot of Bible and a lot of teaching in one Saturday afternoon, but I never did have any complainers. They all stayed. So... Uh, I would always teach you, of course, I understand that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. You know, and without faith, you can't please God. And uh, some people say, you mean to tell me without faith I can't get healed? No, I'm going to tell you, you can't get anything from God, you know, without faith. So it doesn't make any whether it's answer to a prayer or healing or nothing, you can't get it without faith. So... That's why we've had such a failure rate in the church of getting our prayers answered. Because I was a member of the Southern Baptist Church for the first 65 years of my life before I left the denomination and became non-denominational. The last few years my church, we're non-denominational. But this couple, they came and they listened and they heard what sin was and how easy it was to sin. And so at the end of the day... They came up and told me, said, we came to this not knowing what we were going to expect. But she said, you used the word of God to prove everything you said today. But she said, we're not ready to be prayed for yet. Said, our faith level is way up there, but it's not where it needs to be. Now, this is after four hours of teaching. I said, well, y'all take you a bunch of my video and audio tapes. I didn't have CDs and DVDs back in those days. I said, take the videos and the audio cassettes and listen to them this month, all month long. And they did, because all of my media out here, I've always given it away. I've never charged for anything. So, and, and all the media out there is free to you. Whatever it is, if you want it, you can take what you want as much as you want. Uh, like Milton said, we brought or shipped 18 boxes of stuff up here, you know, and we trust that that will last all week. But if it doesn't, you know, if it runs out, uh, you take as much as you want. And if it's gone, uh, well, we have a website that you can go to, and you can go to the website, and it's on every one of those CDs and DVDs and tapes out there. And there's an order form on there with everything we have, and you can click on it and put your name there, and you'll order it. We'll send it to you free and postpaid. So you can't hardly beat a deal like that. But that's the way we do business. You know, we have always done it like that. 
And so anyway, I gave this couple several teachings that I had made at the time. Didn't have near this many. I only had a few. I told them, I said, y'all go home this week and listen to these this month and continue to build your faith. Well, they went and they listened. And at the end of the month, they came back to another healing school. They came back and they sat through another four hours. Now, this is why I'm telling you, one another reason I'm telling you, and I told Milton this up front, I said, today, after an hour and a half or two hours or whatever we go today, uh, unless you are here and cannot come back tonight and cannot come back the rest of this week, I don't want you to come up for prayer. You know, I want you to wait till your faith level is up, because without faith, you can't please the Lord. And you may think you have faith. I used to think I had faith until I began to step over into the world of faith. And then I realized I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant to have faith. And I think that's where most of us are today in the church. We don't know what faith is. We think we have faith, but we really don't know what it really is. Because I certainly didn't. And so when I stepped into this world... Then things begin to change dramatically. I begin to see God do awesome things when I prayed. But anyway, this couple had been to a four-hour healing school. They'd been listening all month long. For hours they had spent listening to the teachings. Then they came back to another four hours. And then after the healing school that day, they both came up. And, of course, she is the one that had the problem. He was pretty well okay. So I prayed for her. And as I prayed for her, both of them had repented of every sin known to man over that month. And as I took the word of God and called the king in remembrance of his promises and laid hands on her and rebuked the enemy, the, the king instantly delivered her of her arthritis in her knees. Her pain went away. She was healed right there. Uh, then I laid my hands on her head, and I rebuked that enemy of pain, and he immediately left. And her migraine headaches, which she had had for many years, instantly left. And then I rebuked the enemy of her cancer, and all of a sudden she could breathe perfect. And then she made this statement. Wow, I feel so good. She started bending her knees, and she said, my headache's not there no more. My pain in my knees are gone. I can breathe so good. I know I'm healed because I feel so good. Now, see, this is after no telling how many hours of teaching. And I said, ma'am, you just sinned. And she said, what? I said, you don't believe God's word. You believe you're healed because you feel so good. I said, that's sin. I said, there's not a single place in the Word of God where the Lord says, I sent forth feeling so that you would know you were healed. He said, I sent my Word and healed you. I said, so you don't believe His Word. You see how easy it is to sin? How many of you would have thought that woman just stepped into sin? She had just opened the door wide open for the devil to come right back in. But she didn't know that. See, I didn't know that for years. I told her, I said, yes, Jesus Christ, our King, has healed you. You're healed of all of your problems, but he promised that. I said, you've been diligent this last month. You've come to the teachings. You've listened to them. You've taken his word and you have studied it. 
You've checked it out in the Word. You've listened to what I said on those tapes. You and your husband have spent hours and hours with a tape machine or whatever, listening to a video or to a, uh, on a TV, watching these teachings and checking them out. And I said, you have built your faith to a new level, and your level was high enough for you to get healed of everything when I rebuked the enemy and prayed for you, because God's promises are always yes to those that meet his criteria. He never says no. And, of course, that's in the Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. That's where he says that. But anyway, I said, you've just sinned and opened the door to the devil. She said, but I don't understand this. I said, well, I said, I want you to repent and tell God you're sorry that you didn't believe his word. And she said, sir, it can't be this critical. I said, it's only critical if you want to stay healed. You know, if you don't mind being sick, then it's not critical. And she said, well, I want to stay healed. I said, well, then it's critical. And God's word only works when we make it work exactly like it's written. It is that critical. So anyway, she repented. Her and her husband both repented. And, and she said, but I do feel good. I said, okay, now I'm going to explain something to you. I said, if you go by feeling, I said, I can almost guarantee you that the enemy will come back to you for a counterattack. He almost always comes back for a counterattack. And I said, so many people lose their promise from God. It makes matter what it is, whether it's healing or whether you're asking for whatever. Whatever it is, when there is doubt comes in, you lose your answer to your prayer. And I said, you have to learn to walk outside of doubt. And you have to learn to walk within the confines of the Word of God completely, totally, if you want God's Word to work for you. And she said, what do you mean the enemy is going to come back for a counterattack? I said, well, the devil, he's had legal right to you because of sin. And that's why you've had arthritis in your knees. That's why you've had migraine headaches for years. She'd had these things for years. And, of course, you know, she'd go... To the doctor, and the doctors can give you some kind of medication for some things that can help you. And like I say, praise God for good Christian, especially good Christian doctors. Now, there's some doctors out there that's not Christians, but there's some mechanics out there that's not Christians either. You know, and, you know, some of you take your car to a Christian mechanic and he'll do what he said, and some of you have been to the, to a non-Christian mechanic and you took it, and when you went to get your car, he ripped you off and didn't fix your cars. So there's Christians in every walk of life. You all know what I mean, right? And so it's a shame that uh, some of us that are Christians still seem to treat people wrong. But anyway, I told this lady, which had been able to suffer through because she had been to a doctor many times, she is now healed of everything. And I told her, I said, if you'll walk holy in obedience to God's word and walk in total faith, the enemy may not come back, but I said, you know, you being a Southern Baptist and never being trained what faith is, it will probably be very difficult for you to walk in that place of total faith. So I said, you be ready for a counterattack. She said, what do you mean by a counterattack? I said, well, the devil has had you so many years with the pains in your head and your knees, and now then he had had the lung cancer, and the doctor said you only had less than six months to a year to live with this cancer. I said, now that all of your symptoms are gone, you 
felt like you were healed because your symptoms went away. And I said, and the enemy has left and God has healed you. But I said, the enemy may very well come back and either put a pain in your head again or a pain in your leg again. Or he might put a shortness of breath in your lungs again. And I said, if he does, this is what most people immediately do. I have a pain. I thought I was healed. I said, when you do that, you're sinned. That's how easy it is to sin. When you said, I thought I was healed. I said, the devil will immediately stand there and said, see God, your stupid little daughter, she didn't believe your word. She doesn't believe what you said. She thought she was healed. That's not faith. Now I have legal right to re-enter her body and kill her. And he does. And he does. And he will. So I said, when the enemy comes back for a counterattack, what you've got to know is when he attacks, you've got to know that Jesus is on your side. You've got to know that you're his daughter. And you've got to know that he made all these promises to you. And that he's not mad at you, but that he loves you, and he's given you all power over this enemy, the devil. But you will have to take his word and drive the enemy out, because Jesus has already done everything he's going to do. And that's the place where I had missed it tremendously the first 40 years of my life. I didn't know this, but as I read and studied this book in such great detail... I begin to see this, and God began to reveal these things to me by His Spirit. And then He began to talk to me, and I began to hear His audible voice as He would share these things with me. So I learned from my diligent study of God's Word how this thing works. And now then He's allowed me to teach it to others. So I told her, I said, now, you've got to know that Jesus said in His Word, In Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent forth his word and healed you. You got to know that. That's what we've been talking about the last month, I told her. The word, he has sent his word to heal you. You got to know that he said over there in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, that he bore your pain, he bore your sickness, and he removed your disease. And he told us that by the prophet Isaiah over 700 years before he came and actually paid the price for it. He told us that. And then Jesus came to the earth in 2,000 years ago and told us clearly in Matthew 8, 17, 16 and 17, he went about casting out demons and healing all the sick to confirm what was written by the prophet Isaiah, which said, Himself, Jesus I bore your sickness and removed your disease. I said, so if you realize that by his stripes you were healed over there in Isaiah 53, 5, and Matthew 8, 17 said, himself, Jesus, bore your sickness and removed your disease. And then in 1 Peter 2, 24, he said, by his stripes you were healed. I said, you've got to know the king has already done everything he's going to do for you. And now you're going to have to take it away from the devil with the word of God by force. And she says, sir, nobody has ever told me these things. I said, I know. 
I didn't know them either until I got in this book and studied. But I said, you'll find out that everything I've told you is the truth. I said, now, if the enemy comes back for a counterattack, and he very well may. I said, I've seen many people lose their healings. And this is one of the devastating things that's wrong with the healing ministry today. I mean, you take a ministry like Benny Hinn, you know, that he has a good name with some people and a bad name with some people. It all depends. I mean, I have been to some of his healing conferences, and I've never seen such great and wonderful worship and praise. Some of you may have been to some of them. I mean, I was moved the first time I went to one of those as a Southern Baptist in Dallas. You know, of course, Southern Baptist, you know, we always go to church. If it starts at 10, we get there at two minutes till, you know. I mean, why get there early? You know, there's plenty of room in the parking spot. We want to park right out there and walk right in. Anybody can be in here in two minutes. Well, they said that Benny Hinn was going to be in Dallas. This was years ago, and, and I was a Southern Baptist deacon, and I had never been to one of those. I'd seen him on television. So I thought, I'll go. I'll, I'll take my family, and we'll go. Starts at 7 p.m. So, since it's in downtown Dallas, we have to find a place to park. We ought to get there about 6.30. So, we went, and, you know, we thought, 30 minutes, this is worlds of time. So, we get there and find a place to park, finally, and we get up there about 15 minutes till 7, and people standing all over the place outside. And I walked up, and I went to the door, and, and nobody's moving. Doors are closed. So I went up and opened one of the doors and said, sir, is this the Benny Hinn crusade? He said, yes. I said, well, isn't it open to the public? He said, yes. I said, then why are the doors are closed and it says no admittance? He said, because it's full. I said, this huge building is full? He said, oh, it's been full since 5 o'clock. <laughs> now, there's something that these people must know about God that I don't know. Because I ain't never been two hours or three hours early to church in my life, you know. So I left, you know, a little bit unhappy that I wasn't going to get to go. Well, the next morning, I thought it was going to come start at 10 the next morning, Friday morning. And it was going to be Friday morning and Friday night. And I thought, well, I went to work that morning, got to work at 7 o'clock. And I, I walked into the workplace and I thought, you know. I'm going to go to that thing. I'm going to go down there this morning, and I'm going to leave right now. It's still just 7 o'clock, and I'm going to see if I can get there and get in. When I got there in that place about 8 o'clock, there was already over 3,000 people in that place. I thought, there's something. These people want to go to church. I mean, as a Southern Baptist, I ain't never been to church where the place was packed, and I ain't never been there 30 minutes before time to start and be anybody there. The place is empty. But they were full. And so they started to worship and praise at 10 o'clock, and I've never been so inspired in my life with what I heard in the worship and praise. And then finally, Benny Hinn came out there after all they did, they worshiped and praised. And of course, the power of the Holy Spirit came into that place, and God showed up. He done about 30 minutes worth of teaching, maybe, and then God started moving and people started getting healed, and things started happening. And I stayed there. Now, I got there 
before 8 o'clock that morning, I didn't go to the bathroom. I didn't have a drink. And finally, after they was praying for people that afternoon and people were, things were happening, I finally thought, you know, I wonder what time it is. And I said, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, you really got to be in the Holy Spirit to come at 8 and be there at 3. And you hadn't had a drink, hadn't been to the bathroom, hadn't thought about nothing but God. That's how moved I was. I had never been to church that many hours in my life. I saw so many people get healed and saw so many things happen. And then I went away awestruck at what I had saw God do that day. And, of course, over the period of time, I began to hear about people, you know, that say, well, I went to a Benny Hinn conference and I got healed, but it didn't last. I got sicker a month later or two months later. Or my mother went, she had cancer, and she was healed. She could breathe perfect, and then six months later, she's dead. I thought, I don't understand our God. Why does God do that kind of work? I don't understand Him. Well, I didn't understand the battle. But all of these things that God was revealing to me, I was learning. And now I know why these things happen. Because... They don't do the teaching that's necessary to teach you how to resist the enemy after God heals you. That's why we're sick in the first place. You know, God designed us to walk in divine health. You know that? You know, when God designed your body and made it in the garden and he put Adam and Eve together, there was no sin and there was no sickness and disease. Now, that's the way he planned for us to live. No sin. And no sickness and disease. And then we had this little critter come in. Our buddy, huh? Yeah, our real buddy. This enemy that we talked about a while ago that's now defeated. But for 4,000 years, this guy was not defeated. He was the God of this world. And he was the prince of the power of the air of this world. And him and his demons had a heyday on this earth for 4,000 years. And then Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus came 2,000 years ago and defeated this beast for us. And I could not believe <clears throat> that I had read this book so many times as a Sunday school teacher, <clears throat> as a Baptist deacon, read it, prayed over it, and studied it. And all of these things, I never put these things together. How I'd missed this. <clears throat> But slowly but surely, <clears throat> slowly but surely, <clears throat> as I began to study this book in great detail, I thought there's got to be an answer to life. You know, there's got to be answers why some people are so blessed, some people are walking in health, and some people are not blessed, and some people are walking in sickness and disease. It couldn't just be a coincidence or an accident why these things happen. Why? I, I, I didn't understand. So I got to the point where I realized that as a Christian, if God is really God, <clears throat> if God is really God, here comes a man with a bottle of water. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's beautiful. Bless this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Now then, <clears throat> I thought there's got to be an answer. If God is really God, <clears throat> and this is really His Word, 
He's got to have put everything in this book that you and I will need to live on this earth and to live a good, healthy life. So as I begin to study this, I begin to see these things. And then as I studied and learned, now I'm beginning to understand why when people go to a place like a Benny Hinn conference where God shows up in big time numbers and does wonderful things, why so many of those people walk out of there and some of them keep their healing, but some don't. Some lose it. Well, I wanted to know why. Well, I learned from studying the Word, and then I began to teach it in my own healing schools. And this young lady and her husband that had come, and she had gotten healing, healed. Now, this, if this had been a, a normal way of doing things, like Benny Hinn does them, and God had showed up and touched her and healed her of everything... And she'd have been one of the privileged ones that got to walk up on the platform to say, I'm healed. I mean, I'm, I can run. I can, don't have no headaches no more. My knees don't hurt. Everything. We see those on television. And I love to watch those when I have time because that's God working. He's doing a great work through Benny Hinn. So I don't care. Some of you may not like him, but I'm telling you, he's a man of God. You know, he really is a man of God. He loves God. Now, I've heard people say he's of the devil, but I heard people say Oral Roberts is of the devil. I've heard people say that Jesus was of the devil. You all know where I'm coming from? The Pharisees and Sadducees looked right at Jesus and says he has a demon. He's crazy. Well, if they're going to say that about our king, what do you think they're going to say about you? Same thing. That is, if you step over into the world of faith, I guarantee those same demons and them people is going to condemn you. Well, here's this girl. She's gotten healed. And I told her, I said, now I want you to know that our Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago and he defeated the devil. Now, you, we sing about that this morning. Now, some of you may not have a clue where that's found in the Word of God. But I know every place where that's found in the Word of God. I know them by heart. I know the devil's defeated. There ain't no question about it. I know he's stripped of all of his power and armament. I know Jesus defeated him. I know what he done because it's written in this book. And so if the devil has been defeated and Jesus is the healer, I told her, I said, but you have to believe that and know that with no doubt in your heart. Because I said, if you doubt, you'll lose your healing. The devil will come back. And I've come to realize that when the scripture says... When a demon is cast out, if you don't fill the house with the Word of God, when he comes back and you step over into that sin or that doubt, that devil, not only does he come back in your flesh, but he brings how many of his friends with him? Seven. The Scripture says it, but it's like we read that, but we don't believe that. So you don't want to go there. You don't want to let that devil that was there killing you come back and bring seven more wicked than himself back in there. Because when he does that, he can take you out real quickly. But I said, you'll have to stand on God's word. I said, now, I don't know what he may do. I said, he might just bring a pain back to your head since he had that. He might bring shortness of breath back. I said, he might bring pain in your knees back. But I don't know what he might do. But I said, I can almost guarantee you the enemy will come back for a counterattack. And when he does, if you don't know how to fight the battle, you'll lose it and he'll kill you. And he'll do it quickly. 
And she said, well, so the devil's defeated. Well, we sent her another two hours and showed them all these promises. I said, and you have to know that God is on your side. You know, I used to think when I prayed, if I prayed long enough and loud enough, God would hear me. But I found out that's not true. I can pray loud and long and he never hear me. I can just pray simple now and quiet and he hears and he answers. He does great and wonderful things. All you got to do is do it his way. And he answers and he hears every time. So, you know, it's God, some of you will know what I'm talking about when I say this, especially some of you women. God is a man. And you either do it his way or you don't get it. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm coming from? God made us in his image. And he made men like that. And when the women learn that, your life gets a whole lot better at home, a whole lot quicker when you learn that. But God is a man. And he only allows it to be done his way. I don't care which way you want to do it. If you don't do it his way, you don't get your answer. He's just that way. And so since I've learned that, I try my best to do everything his way. And therefore, when I make him happy, it's no problem. He'll do everything he said he will do in his word when I do it his way. But anyway, this couple, after spending several more hours with them, teaching them that God was on their side, but that the devil was against them, but he had been defeated and triumphed over by our king. And the king had done everything he was going to do from this day forth. We would have to take the word of God and drive the devil out if he came back. And I said, he may not come back, but if he does, you need to be prepared. They went home that evening praising God. She was healed. She felt good, but she now knows the word. She knows the battle that there is to fight. Get home that night, finally go to bed. About one o'clock in the morning, she wakes up. She said, honey, she wakes him up. She said, something's wrong with my face. He looks at her face. He said, there's nothing wrong with your face. She said, I'm telling you, something's wrong with my face. She said, I feel something moving under my skin. I'm going to tell you what that was. It was a demon. That demon had come in and he had got under her skin and he had penetrated her. That's one of these scorpions that we talk about. Those that pierce the flesh, the body, that Luke 10, 19, and 20 talks about. But this scorpion, this demon, had went underneath her skin. And he was moving around under there. And she could feel him. Her husband told her, said, there's nothing wrong with your face. And all of a sudden, the whole side of her face turned blood red. Now then, what does that have a tendency to do to you if that's your flesh? Y'all have a tendency to panic a little, right? If it's your flesh. Well, he panicked. He said, good grief, all of a sudden your whole side of your face turned blood red. He said, get up, I'm taking you to the doctor. She said, no. I will not doubt my king. She said, if my king healed me, he healed me. She said, don't you remember Thurman told us this is what the devil's going to do? And if we run down there, we're going to be in doubt and unbelief. She said, no. 
I'm, we're taking the word of God and we're driving this devil out. So they took the word of God and the promises of God and they began to rebuke the devil. They began to command him to leave and thank the Lord for her healing. And they rebuked him and rebuked him and rebuked him. And after about an hour, he left. And as he left, she said, wow, praise the Lord, he's gone. And all of a sudden, she felt him crawling on this side. And all of a sudden, this side turned blood red. So for another hour, they fought. And then he left for about 20 or 30 minutes. They thought they were okay. They were almost asleep whenever this beast manifest on her back. They fought that battle for hours that night. Hours. He would go away and he would come back. He would go away and he would come back. Finally, a few days later, she called me and told me about the battle. When she told me about what happened, she said, I'm so glad that you taught us what you taught us. Because she said, if we hadn't known this, when that devil came back, she said, I would have lost it that first night. And she said, I would have doubted. But said, after what you taught us, I knew what our king had done for us. I knew his promises were yes and amen. And I was going to stand on his word. And I thought, she said, we fought the battle for eight hours. So I told that story several times. I said, they fought that battle for the next eight hours before they finally drove the devil away and he didn't come back anymore. And no tell how many tapes I told that on. You may hear one of those. But finally, they were at a healing school again several months later. And I told the story. I said, there's Ruth Ann and her husband. And I told her story. And I said, and she fought the battle eight hours. And she jumped up and said, no, Mr. Scrivener, that's not true. I said, but I thought when I talked to you on the phone, you said eight hours. Oh, so she said, no, sir, it wasn't eight hours. It was eight days. I said, you mean you stayed in faith and fought that battle night and day for eight days before he left? She said, yes, but you told us that Jesus said he's already done it. It's ours. And however long we had to fight the battle to come out on top, as long as we didn't leave, as long as we didn't give up, we would be the winner. So she said, I didn't care how long he stayed. I wasn't going to never doubt my Jesus. So she said it took eight days. But she said he left after eight days, and he has never been back again since that time. Now, how many of you have got that kind of staying power to stay with it eight days? But see, from these kind of experiences I've learned... But God's Word always works. God's answers are always yes and amen. Always. To His obedient children. So when you get a hold of these things and you learn these principles, you will learn to stand on God's Word, and that's when you really step into the world of faith. The world of faith is knowing Beyond a shadow of a doubt that the promises of God are yes to you. Now, as long as you can think, well, yeah, I know God said anything I ask in the name of Jesus, he will do. You can't read the Bible and not come across some of those. Because they are scattered all throughout the New Testament. 
But you know what we think? Well, maybe they're yes for somebody else, but not for me. But they're yes for you, aren't they? Yes, they are. But we think, well, why does it not happen? Well, there's several reasons it doesn't happen. One of them, you're in unbelief. That's your first sin. And that's a sin. And that'll keep you from getting your answer. Unbelief. That's why I say you have to build these promises up. You have to learn these things. And I'll give you an example of a young man that works for a huge ministry. Bill Gothard's Ministries. Some of you know about Bill Gothard, probably. Some of you may have been to some of his conferences. Anybody in here ever been to a Bill Gothard conference? Hands all over the place. I love Bill Gothard. He's a great man, but I didn't know him until a couple of years ago. And then he called me one day. He said, Thurman, my name's Bill Gothard. I said, well, praise God, sir. How can I help you? He said, you don't know who I am? I said, no, sir. Never heard of you. He said, uh, one of my people got healed at one of your meetings. I said, well, praise God. And he said, how do you do it? I said, with the word of God. He said, well, would you give me some of the promises that you use, some of the scriptures? And I said, well, how many do you want? And he said, well, just a few. So for about 45 minutes... Or so, I quoted him some of these mighty promises that I use. And he said, well, he said, I'm, in, I'm the head of a large ministry. And he said, I'm an evangelist and a preacher. And he said, I'm going to check you out. I said, fine, go ahead. So about two or three weeks later, he called me back and he said, I checked out every word of every scripture you use. And he said, you know what those scriptures say in the Hebrew and Greek? I said, yes, sir, the exact same thing they say in the English. He said, that's true. He said, you know, those promises you use are so powerful, I didn't believe God really meant what he said. Now, see, that's unbelief. Bill said, I want you to speak at one of my conferences. I said, well, Bill, before I speak, I don't know you. You don't know me. I said, before I agree to speak at one of your conferences, I want you to listen to some of my teachings. And so I sent him some stuff, him and his board. And a few weeks later, he called me back and he said, Thurman, I see what you mean. He said, uh, if I were to let you speak in one of my conferences, I'd have to change the whole doctrine of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I said, well, that's what I was afraid of. And so I said, you know, I just teach the Word of God. He said, I know that. But he said, you teach it a little uniquely. And I said, well, it's all the Word. And he said, well... Uh, I'd like for you to speak at one of my conferences, but I don't know how I would do it. I said, well, Bill, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not moved whether I speak there or not. He said, there would be at least 3,000 people at each one of them. And I said, well, I don't care if there's three people or 3,000 or 3 million. It makes no difference to me. You know, I said, but, you know, uh, it doesn't make any difference. But I said, if God wants me to speak in your conference, God will make a way. And he said, well, Thurman, I don't know how we're going to do this. I said, well... Let's just trust God. I mean, we work for the king, don't we? I mean, isn't he the boss? Last time I checked, he was the CEO of the universe. 
And I got a feeling next time I check, he'll still be the CEO of the universe, right? He's the boss, you know, so why should we fear? We're his children. We work for Jesus. He's the boss. And all you got to do to please him is do exactly what he said. And no two ways about it. You can't do it your way. You got to do it his way. And so I said, I'll just trust the Lord. If the Lord wants me to speak there, he'll make a way. Well, there was a young man by the name of Andy Warner that works for Bill Gothard. And Bill called me a few weeks later and he said, Thurman, Andy just walked into my office in a walker. He said, now the young man's in his early 20s and he's already had surgery one time on his back. Now let me tell you, that's a sad state of affairs. When you're only in your early 20s, you already had surgery one time on your back and now you're coming to his office walking with a walker again. He said the doctor, of course the first thing he did as a good Christian, he went to a good Christian doctor. And the doctor gave him three options. I mean, that's what doctors do. They tell you what they have learned from going to medical school and in experience. And it's good. We've got good Christian doctors. Praise God for these guys. But anyway, he said, I said, let's call Thurman and see what you say. I said, well, Bill, I give him a fourth option. And that option is Jesus. Now, see, it's amazing how so many times we won't even consider Jesus and the word because we don't know what the Word says, we only have one alternative left, and that's to go to a doctor. Because I lived there most of my life. I've been to a lot of doctors in my life. So anyway, I got him on the phone. I said, put him on the phone. And so we started talking. I said, Andy, are you a born-again Christian? Yes, sir. I said, when did you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he told me. I said, you know you did that by faith. You know you're a born-again believer. He said, Mr. Scrivener, I know I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I said, I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Okay, now that's the right confession. That's what we're looking for, right? I said, now then, there's got to be some kind of sin in your life that opened the door to this enemy to attack your back. I said, you're a young man, early 20s, right? I said, are you living in any kind of known sin? He said, absolutely not. I said, okay. I said, you don't go out and have sex with some girl every once in a while, do you? He said, absolutely not. I've never done that. I said, okay. You know how many young men in their early 20s have already done that? You know how many of them are guilty of sin and that God was right there when they done it? And that is a sin. And he told you in his word, even under this new freedom law we got, he said, let not fornication or sexual adultery be found among the church not one time. Did God say that? Then why in the world does the church go out and commit adultery? Why does the kids go out and think they can have sex in the back seat of a car and they're okay? Hey, you ain't okay. When you do it, you just sinned. And you just cut yourself off with God. Until you repent and stop that nonsense, you ain't never going to get a prayer answered from God. Because God said it is worth And is he the boss? Did the boss, did the boss say no fornication? Well, do you think he meant that? If he meant it, then why do so many people do it? Because they don't believe God means what he says. And so then we come down with sickness and disease and all kinds of things because we're out doing something that God told us not to do. Okay, he hadn't done that. I said, okay, Andy, so you never actually had sex with a girl. I said, have you ever really dreamed about having sex with a girl? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever lusted in your heart for a girl? 
He said, no, sir, I don't do that. Well, how many young men do I know that's in their 20s that hasn't done that by the time you're 20? Do you know Jesus said if you lust in your heart for somebody sexually, you're guilty of adultery? You don't have to commit the act anymore. Under the law, you had to actually commit the act to be guilty. But under the new covenant of grace, you think about it in your heart and you're guilty. So you have to repent or you're cut off from God. He won't answer your prayer. Isn't that amazing? I mean, did the king say that? Did Jesus absolutely say that I tell you that under the law it is written that if you commit adultery, you're guilty of sin. But I tell you that if you lust in your heart for someone, you're guilty of adultery. Did the king say that? Okay. So that's what the king said. So I'm wanting to know, has this boy done this? Because if he has, this opens the door to the enemy to make him sick. No, sir, he's not done that. So we go right on down, and I check out everything. Has he ever lied? Do you steal a pencil from work? No, sir, I'm not a thief. Some people say, I'm not a thief either, but, I mean, give me a break, Thurman. I don't mind taking a pencil from work. Well, hey, if you break home a pencil from work, you're a thief. You know, you got to repent. I mean, God says we're to purify ourselves from all sin as his children. Did he not say that? What do we think pure means? Okay, so I take you a five-gallon jug of water, and we know this was distilled, and it's a perfect five-gallon jug, and you don't have a problem drinking it. So I take a little eyedropper full of arsenic, and I drop one drop in that bottle, and it's clear, and you can't see a thing in there. But you saw me put that in there. Are you going to drink that bottle of water? I ain't going to drink it either, not if I know it's in there. That water's contaminated now. It still looks clean. It still looks pure. But it's contaminated. Well, see, that's what sin does to us. We've got to be pure. When we make a mistake, how do you get pure again? Repent. Confess it. Lord, I'm sorry I messed up. He said, okay, we'll take my son's blood and wash that away. And then we start over again. But now he says, go and sin no more, doesn't he? Go and sin no more. I mean, whenever he walked up to the man that was sick, he said, I forgive you. Get up and take up your bed and walk. And the guy got up and took up his bed and walked. He was healed. He had been that way for 38 years. Jesus came back and he told him, he said, now stop sinning or something worse is going to come up on you. Didn't he say that? What do you think he meant? What do you think he put these little nuggets in his word for? Stop sinning lest something worse come up on you. See, sin. So anyway, as Andy didn't appear to have any, I couldn't find nothing wrong with this boy. Forty-five minutes I go through his life. I finally come down to, I said, well, Andy, I come down to one thing. You appear to be one of the cleanest, purest young men I've ever talked to. But I said, you've got to sin somewhere or you could not be down in your back. I said, now, you know what I think your sin is? He said, What? I said, I think your sin is you have not met the criteria of Second, First Timothy or Second Timothy two fifteen. It's either First or Second Timothy, where it says, "Study to show yourself approved unto God." I said, you haven't studied the Word of God. Now, if God says, "Study His Word to show yourself approved unto God," if you don't study, then you're not doing what He said, so you're sinning. Somebody says, "Goodness gracious, you're making this too critical." I said, "Hey, you want to walk in faith?" You want to see God answer your prayer? You do it the way the king said it. You don't do it your way. 
He said, let God be true and every man be a liar. So don't go by what somebody else says. If you can't find it in the Word, <laughs> you only go. Second Timothy. Second Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Now then, how many years was I a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, and I really didn't study the Word? You know, I would come in on Friday night and I might read an hour or so or two to get ready for Sunday morning of 30 or 40 minute Bible study. But I didn't really study the Word of God. But when I got a hold of that 2 Timothy 2.15 where he says study to show yourself approved unto God. Where you can rightly divide the Word of truth. I thought study? Okay, that means to go back to the days like when I was in school and some of the things I did I mean whenever I but like for instance when I was learning how to teach the systems on a Lockheed Elector four engine turbojet I'm going to be teaching systems on a four engine airplane to pilots and engineers you don't go in and read through the book one time and walk in that classroom and teach them guys how to fly that airplane you study that book you know what I mean, don't you? You study that book. You take that book apart. I mean, and then you go out to that airplane and you look to see if what that book says what's out there. You check it. You do everything. You spend hundreds of hours of preparation before you start in that, walk in that classroom to start teaching those guys how the air conditioning system works, how the pressurization system works, how the electrical systems work. There's so many things to learn on an airplane. Some of you guys may be pilots. You may know what I'm talking about. Or you may have done some flying. You know. But it requires study. I thought, well, if God says study, I guess I better start studying. So I started studying the Word. So I asked Andy, are you a student of the Word of God? He said, yes, sir. I have studied the Word. I said, well, okay. If you've studied it, then this is your sin. You don't believe what you read. Now, how many of us have done that? Every one of us. That's right. Well, I, can, I can hold up both hands. I read the Word, and it says something, but I go do something else anyway. And a lot of y'all can go back and look at your life, and there is many people, every one of us probably in this room today, would say, yes, I know God said that, but I did it the other way. I know He said do this, and I did it anyway. Well, that was sin. And you need to repent. Well, Andy, he had studied the Word, he said, and he said, I do believe the Word of God, and so I just don't see where I have sinned. I said, okay, then we come down to one last thing, Andy. You don't believe these promises you've read. He said, sir, I believe the promises of God. I said, you think you do. I said, now, Andy... I'm going to prove a point to you right here. You seem like one of the purest, cleanest young men in your 20s that I've ever had the privilege to talk to. You appear to be a fine young man. You're working in a ministry, but you're down in your back walking with a walker. I said, I want you to turn into your own book in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, and I want you to look at that promise. If you've got your Bible with you, and if you come to church today and you didn't bring your Bible with you, you're sinning. You need to bring your word with you when you come. Let me ask this question. How many of y'all agree if you're going to go to church, you ought to bring your sword? 
Your your Bible ought to be with your hand. Because you don't know whether I'm going to tell you the truth or not. You know, don't you dare go by what I say if what I say don't line up with the book. You should never listen to a preacher. I mean, even you've got a fine preacher over here. Milton, he is a fine man. I've listened to him. He's doing a great job, I think, teaching the Word of God. Uh, I've listened to one of his latest CDs. I was really impressed what he's teaching y'all. But let me tell you, I don't care what he's teaching. When he's teaching, you open your book and see if what he's saying is written in the book. Do you agree with that, Milton? That's what we should do. So I want, I just like I told Andy, I said, Andy, you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, and you read that promise to me, and you tell me what the king said he would do. Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about a few things, oh, now there's a man paying attention. What did he say you could agree about? Anything. Now, you don't think the king meant that. You know he meant that. Well, see, if he meant that, he meant everything else he said in that book, too, didn't he? When he said, don't go out and sin, he meant that, too, didn't he? See, the king means everything he says. Everything. So if we have ever sin repented of, I told Andy, I said, Andy, you don't believe that promise, do you? He looked at that and he read that and it says, and again, I tell you that if, how many of you? And where do you got to be? Where do you have to be? So what's the criteria? Two and on earth and they have to be in agreement. Is that what the king said? You think he really meant that? Sure he did, because he put it in his book. He says he will do it for us, didn't he? I said, now, Andy, you didn't believe that, did you? He looked at that and he read that. and He said, well, sir, I thought I did. I said, if you believed that, then you would have acted on that. See, you can believe something in your head, but if you don't get it in your heart, you'll never act on it. What he, what had he not done? I mean, whenever he had the back trouble, he didn't run over and say, hey, there's a devil attacking me. This beast is attacking me and I'm not going to let him. I'm a son of God. This deep beast, I'm not going to let him do this to me. He said, get one of his prayer warriors there and say, you come up here and agree with me. We're going to drive this sickness and disease out because my Jesus, he paid the price for this 2000 years ago. He's on my side. I used to think when I prayed, like I say, I'm pleading and begging God to get something, he, do something he's reluctant to do. No, he's already done it. When I realize he's already done it, he's waiting on me to act on his word in faith. And when I act on his word in faith, he's there to make it happen for you. He said, Thurman, you really think that if you and I agree in prayer that maybe God will heal me? I said, that's sin. I mean, is that the way we think? You mean God might? I said, no, God might. Ain't no might to it. What did he say? He will. If two of you on earth agree about anything, you've got to believe that, don't you? Oh, he said, Thurman, I have a hard time believing that. I said, well... Turn over in your scriptures to James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and tell me what God's going to do when we pray in unbelief. Turn over in your scripture to James 1, and first go to verse 5, James 1, 5, 
And he says there in James 1, 5, Does any man lack wisdom? Now, how many people in this room lacks wisdom? How, where do you get wisdom? Any man lacks wisdom, let him ask who? God. Oh, and, but he ain't going to give it to you. What did he say he would give to James 1, 5? He'll give it to you abundantly or liberally. Now, you know what wisdom is? Let me ask you this question. All of us know we need wisdom. We go to college. We go to school. We go to schools of higher learning. We go to everything. We do all this to try to learn a lot of things in our head. And you can learn everything in the world, put it in your head, but it will never help you do anything until you apply the wisdom that goes with it. And where does wisdom come from? From who? God alone. So you can get all the education in the world and never be successful in life because you didn't come and ask God for wisdom. But when you ask him and humbly come to him just like a little child and say, Lord, I've gone to school and you've taught me how to do all these things. But now I need your wisdom to move into my heart. So with the knowledge you've given me, I can take and know what to do with the knowledge you've given me. That's wisdom. So I can go forth and do great things for you and for the kingdom of God. Oh, he said, you come to me as a little child. You humble yourself. Then here's this wisdom. I will give it to you. So he does. But what does he say in verse 6? But when you ask for anything, not only the wisdom, but when you ask, you must ask in what? In faith? Oh, it wouldn't hurt to doubt just a little. How much doubting did he say you could have? Well, now since the king is the king... And he's the CEO of the universe, and he wrote the book, and he cannot lie, and he does not change. If he said, you must come to me and ask me in faith with nothing wavering, and you waver a little, are you sinning? Yeah, sure you are. He says, because if you doubt or if you waver, you're double-minded and unstable in all of your ways. Oh, and he says then, let not that man think he will get only a few things from me. He didn't say that either, did he, brother? What's he going to give you if you don't ask in faith? Oh, nothing. I mean, God surely wouldn't do something like that to you and me. I mean, you know, God wouldn't do... God is understanding. He knows if I'm living in some kind of sin. He knows that I have to sin a little here and there. And He knows if I don't ask in faith, I can ask wavering. And He's compassionate and kind. And He'll go ahead and do it for me anyway. Did He say He will in His Word? He said He won't, doesn't He? See, I used to believe it man's way. And that's why I never saw an answer to prayer. I never saw God do anything. And I served as a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, and I prayed for a lot of people, and I never saw an answer to prayer. Not a direct answer. Didn't see it. But when I started doing things His way, wow, what a change. Now then, I told Andy, I said, now then, you've got to ask in faith, son. Nothing wavering. Did Jesus say there in Matthew 18, 19, if two of us on earth agreed about anything, he would do it? I said, now then, Andy, 
I want you to repent of all your sins of unbelief. See, we don't realize that's a sin. Here this young man had had surgery once. Now he's down in his back, walking with a walker. And the doctor says, if, doctor says, and of course, you know, doctors do what they see. They know what they've learned and what they've been taught. And if you don't put faith with it, a lot of them are right on. It's going to happen just like they say because they've seen it. But faith is a, puts you into a new world. I said, now if you'll repent and you'll agree with me in prayer, the king promised you he would do anything we ask him. I said, so I'm going to agree with you in prayer right now. And I'm going to ask the king of the universe, his name is Jesus, on behalf of his promises, Matthew 18, 19, which he said he would do to heal you. I, as Father, in the name of Jesus, and he's repented of his sins of unbelief. I now ask you, Father, in Jesus' name. I'm on the telephone in Justin, Texas, in my office, and he's in Chicago, in Bill Gothers Ministries, standing with a walker. I said, Father, I'm asking you in Jesus' name, based upon your word, Matthew 18, 19, to heal Andy Warner's back and make him ever whit whole. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, Andy, you agree with that? He said, I agree. I said, then it's done. I said, i got to go to a Bible study. I'm going to be late if I don't hurry. I said, call me in the morning with your praise report. You hear any faith in that, brother? Did I doubt? Oh, did Andy doubt? Guess what God instantly did to Andy Warner? Healed his back, just like that. Standing here, all of a sudden his pain goes away. He, Mr. Arthur, my pain just went away. And he backed out of the walker and he said, I don't hurt. And he said, he said, my back is healed. So he starts doing handsprings and jumping up and down and everything. Went and played basketball all afternoon. Next morning at 7 o'clock, my phone's ringing. Bill Gothard. He said, Thurman, what you teach works. I said, isn't that amazing? It's only God's word. You know, a man was telling me the other day that a man that used to work for me, he said, what do you think about Thurman? I said, it took me a while to learn him. But he said, I've learned how to make him completely happy and to have no recourse from him but praise. He said, what did you learn? He said, if he tells me to do something a certain way, I don't ask any question. I'll do it just like he said. And so when I do it just like he says, he said, Thurman comes back. said, that's exactly what I wanted. You've done a good job, son. Slapped me on the back and said, he even gives me a bonus once in a while. He said, all i got to do is do exactly what that man tells me, and I never have a problem with that man. If you want to get along with God, you know how to do it. If he tells you to do something, I don't care how old or how young you are, whether you're a male or female. If God tells you to do something a certain way, you do it his way, and I guarantee he'll answer just like that. But you can't do it your way. you got to do it his way. Well, about two weeks later, Bill called me with another young man by the name of Robert. He said, Thurman, that's awesome. Andy is still running and playing, but now Robert, he's down with his back, and only Robert can't get up. I said, well, Bill, there's a sin. And Bill's listening on the telephone all this time. So I start the same scenario. I go through this whole work. With Robert. But when I get to the sin, I asked Robert, I said, Robert, you ever had sex with a girl? He's like 25. 
No, sir. I'm a virgin. I said, praise God. That's really great today. The world we live in today, there ain't many young men that get to be 25 that's still a virgin. But I said, praise God for you. I said, but have you ever lusted for a girl in your heart? He said, yes, sir, unfortunately, I have done that. I said, well, that's pretty common. Pretty common. So I said, have you repented of that sin? He said, well, no, sir, I guess I really never thought about having to repent for it. I didn't know that it was really sin. I did know that God said in his word that if I lust for a girl that I am sinning and I'm guilty of adultery. But he said, I never voiced it or anything. I said, you don't have to voice it. All you got to do is lust. He said, well, I've done that. Only a few times, but I have done I am guilty. I said, God will forgive you. I said, I want you to ask him to forgive you. And he did. I said, now then, do you know what Matthew eighteen nineteen says? And he said, no, sir. I said, turn over to that little boy does. I said, turn over to Matthew eighteen nineteen and read it. And he turned over there and I said, now, what do you think about that promise? That's from our king. He said, Thurman, that's an awesome promise, isn't it? Two of us on earth agree about anything we ask him for. As long as we ask in faith, will all our sins repented? And I said, he'll do it for you too, just like he did for Andy. He said, Lord, forgive me. I didn't realize it was so critical. He said, I repent of every sin, known and unknown. And Lord, I want to walk wholly in obedience to your word. Isn't God such a gracious God? I mean, we come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm just a little child down here, but Lord, I messed up. I'm a human being. He said, I know. That's what I sent my son for. I sent him to pay the price for you. Now you repent, and I love you so much, I'll forgive you and wash you clean and pure. Hey, brother, praise God. We can hold our hands up on that. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, he forgave him. I said, now then, Robert, I'm going to ask the Father in the name of Jesus on behalf of Matthew 18, 19, just like I did for Andy. And I'm going to guarantee you he's going to heal you just like he did Andy. And I prayed the prayer of faith for him. I said, do do you agree with me? He said, I agree. I said, did he say we had to agree? Now, how are we going to know if we don't voice it? See? Now, it don't work hard. We pray, and I said, it's done. And he says, I hope it's done. Is there any agreement there? No, it didn't work. Won't work. Won't work. It's that critical. But he agreed. And I thanked the Father. I said, you're healed. And I hung up the telephone. And again, the next morning, Bill Gothard called me back, and he said, Thurman, I have seen it work twice. He said, Andy was healed and Robert's healed. said, Robert got up and played basketball until 2 o'clock this morning. He said, what you teach works. He said, you're going to speak in one of my conferences. I said, okay, we'll do it. So I went to Big Sandy. I got down there. And Bill said, I want you to tell the story about your granddaughter. I said, okay. Now... I was going to tell the story about my granddaughter, but I can't tell it now, even because it's too long. But anyway, this week you will hear that. Uh, well, maybe tonight we might tell that in detail. But anyway, I 
went down there and I was going to tell the story. And it usually takes me 90 minutes to tell that story if I tell the story in detail. I can't hardly tell it in less than 90 minutes. Even though I've learned, you know, how to do it as short as I know how. Because there's so many scriptures, so much involved in what it took to technically raise my granddaughter from the dead. She was killed in a car wreck, technically. Brain stem was severed. Eyes were jerked out of her brain. Skull was crushed in five places. All the bones around her face were crushed. Her little lungs crushed. Her right knee crushed. Her left leg broken in two places. And the finest doctors that checked her said it's impossible for her to live. But that's not true. It depends on who you believe. You know, today she's eight years old, running and playing a beautiful little girl, you know, in second grade. But anyway, when Bill asked me, he said, I want you to tell the story to my people about your granddaughter. You got an hour and a half. Can you do it? I said, yes. So that morning I got up down there. I was the first speaker at Big Sandy, 3,000 people there. And I quoted the Word of God, only used the King James translation, quoted the Word of God, talked an hour and a half, and I don't know how many standing ovations Jesus got, but he got a bunch of them. Because many times the people, 3,000 of them would just stand and begin to worship the Lord. And so I'd have to wait a minute till they'd quiet down and sit down, and then we'd go again. That happened six or eight times, maybe longer, maybe more, in that morning. I didn't count them. And then the next morning, we had a men's breakfast. And, of course, that CD is out there if you want to hear. Yeah, God's Power. It's called God's Power. It's a CD only, but we have it, and it's called the Big, the, the, uh, Big Sandy Conference. So it's called God's Power. If you want to hear what I said that hour and a half that morning, it's out there on that table. But the next morning, we had a 7 o'clock men's breakfast. And then a nine o'clock teaching. And I thought, I'm not going to go to breakfast this morning. I'll just stay away. So the next morning at nine o'clock, five minutes till nine, Bill went to the breakfast and he come in and I'm sitting there waiting to, to go on to teach at nine till ten thirty. And Bill walked in. He said, Thurman, I got to see you in the back room a minute before you talk this morning. I said, okay. So I went back there, and we went in a little tiny electrical room with cords laying all over the floor and everything else. And he said, Thurman, they crucified you this morning at the men's breakfast. I said, well, I was afraid of that. That's why I didn't go. He said, the subject I asked you to speak about this morning, you're going to have to be so careful how you present the information. I said, well, Bill... I'm not even going to talk about what you told me to talk about at all this morning. He said, you're not? I said, no, this morning at 4 o'clock, the king woke me up and told me what to say. He said, what are you going to talk about? I said, Bill, we got less than five minutes to be on the air. I can't tell you what the king said. He said, Thurman, I got to know before you get out there. I said, Bill, don't we both work for the same boss? Isn't Jesus the CEO? Or does this place belong to you? He said, well, Thurman, it belongs to Jesus. I said, okay. 
then if the king woke me up at four o'clock and told me what to talk about, then I can't do what you tell me. I got to do what he said. Oh, he said, Thurman. And so he walks out of that room and, okay, he walks right out on the platform and he takes the mic and he takes the first 30 minutes of my hour and a half explaining to people how that men of faith, you can't really ever tell what they're really going to do. And the Lord had told me totally, completely that morning. He said, now, son, he woke me up at four o'clock. And some people have a problem when they say God talks to you. But let me tell you, he talks to me. You know, let me ask this question. How many of you in here have ever heard the authoritative, audible voice of the Holy Spirit? How many of you have heard that voice? Look at the people in here. So I ain't the only one that hears God. Thank goodness. So anyway, the Lord told me exactly what he wanted me to talk about that morning. And since he's the CEO of the universe, I learned I, if I do things like he says, hey, I get blessed. If I don't do things like he says, I get taken to the woodshed. And I don't like to be taken to the woodshed. You know, I mean, is that the way it is? I mean, if we're daddy and you, these boys yours up here on the front row, if these boys obey you, you don't take them to the woodshed, do you? But if they disobey, ooh, to the woodshed. You boys know what the woodshed is? (laughs) (laughs) Praise God for a good daddy, you know. But hey, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be taken to the woodshed by God. So if he tells me to do something, I'm going to do what the king says. And so I did that day. And of course, as I walked off after an hour, that CD's out there too, you can hear it. I walked off that platform. Bill grabbed my hand, shook my hand. He said, awesome message. And I said, well, I'm just doing what God says. Well, I went to dinner that night with him and a half a dozen PhDs, you know, and I'm not a PhD in nothing. You know, I may be a jack of all trades, but I'm not a PhD. Never have had one, probably never will have, but I have studied the Word and we were sitting at dinner that night with all, Bill's a PhD, praise God, you know, and all these guys are with him, all of them, he's surrounded by these kind of guys. And they're all great men of God. We were sitting there having dinner together that night, and he looked over at me and he said, when I get that message you preached this morning, in the hands of 5,000 young men, we'll win the world to Jesus. I said, I know it. That's why God gave me that message this morning. He'll change your life with that message forever. I said, when I learned those principles God showed me, I've seen people that I couldn't even talk to about Jesus. I mean, couldn't even talk to. I've learned how to go to the throne of grace, and I've had them people come to me and ask me how to get saved. Now then, if you want to know the power and authority we got, all you need to do is start reading the Word of God. When you read the Word of God and you think about this, When I learned these principles, how many of you in here have got loved ones that you'd like to see come to Jesus? Everybody has. Well, you wonder why they don't get saved? I used to ask that question. You know, why is it you people are saved? And I'm assuming nearly everybody in this room is a born-again believer. Because you're church on Sunday. If you weren't a born-again believer, you wouldn't be here. If you're an adult, for sure, unless your wife or your daughter or your son or somebody drug you here. Otherwise, you ain't going to be here. But they got a guest speaker today. I don't care who they got down there. I'm going to Lake. I don't want to go hear that some guy preach or talk about the Word of God. That's boring. But no, 
these people, you're saved for a reason. Somebody prayed and you got saved. If you don't pray, nobody gets saved. Somebody said, I've been praying for somebody for years. And then you pray for somebody and then you drive down the road and there's Uncle Jack walking on the road or sitting over there in a chair or whatever. And you walk in. And I had one uncle like this and I didn't know this back in those days. I went over to my uncle's house and I said, you know, my daddy's oldest brother. I said, you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Ah, he said, Thurman, I don't need that junk. You know, he said, that's okay for you. But he said, I don't need that stuff. I tried everything I knew to lead him to Jesus. He wasn't interested. But the night he died, he was in torment. He was dying. He said, don't you see them wicked things coming to get me? You begin to understand how real what we're doing is. When a man that's almost dying is screaming with all the voice he has, What are those wicked things? Don't you see them? They're coming to get me. And they did. And they killed him and took him away that night. Left his body there. But his soul and his spirit went to hell that night. He believes now. But it's too late now. But I didn't know how to get him saved. I said, God, I don't understand. I have prayed for uncle. I have prayed for him. I've done everything I know to do. And you didn't save him. Why? He said, that's what I've been trying to do all his life. I thought, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. How is God trying to save somebody and he can't do it? That don't make any sense to me. But when you have something like this, you think there's got to be something in this word that'll show me what God's talking about there. He's trying to save you and he can't. And then one day I was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. I want you to turn over there. I want you to see why people don't get saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. This was the greatest revelation to me. Here I'm praying for people, and they're not getting saved. And then I ask God, why? And he says, that's what I'm trying to do. And I think, what? You're trying to do it, and you can't do it? What is the deal? And he says, if there's any lost on this earth, and is there any lost on this earth? I mean multitudes of them. They're lost because the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their mind to the truth of the Word of God. Otherwise, they would see the blessed gospel and they would get saved. Does it read something like that? Does it read something like that? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4? Does it say, if there's any lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind? Is that what it says? So who's blinded their mind? When you come into this world as a child, when you're born into this world, I don't care if you're born into this world, in the best Christian family they are, you're a child of the devil. You know that? You know every man when he comes into this world is lost? 
You were lost once, wasn't you? Huh? Yes, you were. And you were a child of the devil, wasn't you? And you stop and think, we might easily see some of his attributes in us when we were young. Before we got saved, we might have really been a little beast. You wonder, you don't have to teach your children how to be mean. You don't have to teach them how to take toys away from each other. You've got to teach them how to walk in love, right? They know how to do things wrong. Why? Because they're children of the devil. When they're born, they're children of the devil. They're lost. Everybody's lost. Well, the God of this world, he will blind your mind to the truth so you'll never, ever come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But when you get a hold of the fact, you can go to the throne of grace, just like Hebrews 4.16 says. When you go to the throne of grace and you do this, how do you do everything in the Word of God? By what? Faith. You don't literally catch yourself up in the flesh to the third heaven. But technically, in the Spirit, according to Ephesians 2.6, we're already seated in the third heaven with Christ. Is that right? That's, what, that's our rightful position as sons of God and daughters of God. We have great and awesome power with God. When you realize you can come to the throne of grace in the spirit world, and you can step into the throne of God, and you can say, Lord, I'm up here because of the blood of your son. I'm one of your sons or one of your daughters. Now then, I've got an uncle or an aunt or a sister or whatever or a loved one down there on earth. Their name is so-and-so, and they're lost. And the Word of God says the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their mind to the gospel so they can't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now then, according to Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, and I want you to see what that says. Luke 10, 19 and 20. I want you to see the power our king has given you and me over the devil. When you get a hold of this, this will change the way you do business. I mean, it'll change you forever. Jesus is speaking. Behold, I, Jesus, given to you power to tread on the devil and his demons. Who is the serpent and his scorpions? I used to read that, and the devil would put in my mind, Oh, you have been given power over the little snake that crawls on the ground. And those little scorpions, you know, that sting you, you can step on them. You have been given power over them. I thought, why in the world do I need power over a snake and a scorpion? Until one day I got wise and started checking it out in the Greek, and I found that in the Greek, he's talking about the devil and his demons. So when I put that in the scripture, and it says Jesus is talking, the king is talking. This is not just anybody. This is the king, our king. He says, behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons. Hey, good news, isn't it, young lady? All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. That's a pretty awesome statement, isn't it? Then why do we let the devil as a church, why do we let this beast run over us so much? Because we don't know how to fight the fight of faith. That devil comes upon us and does things to us, 
and steals our children and everything else. And we go crying and say, oh, God, where are you? He said, I'm right here. I'm in you. Take my word and drive that beast out. That's what he's telling you. So you go to the throne of grace. And you take that scripture. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that these evil spirits have to be subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. Rejoice because these, ha- these beasts have to be what? They have to be subject to me. Is that what he said? So if a devil has to be subject to me, what do I need to start telling him to do? If I've got an uncle that's lost. I need to go to the throne of grace and I need to walk up to that throne. I said, Father, I want to thank you and praise you and worship you that you sent your son to the earth 2,000 years ago and you empowered me with the word of God and I can overcome this devil. And that beast has to be subject to me in your name. So I said, Satan, I'm serving notice on you. I am commanding you to get your filthy hands off of John Doe. I'm commanding you to withdraw all your demons, all your spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies and you stop blinding his mind to the truth of the word of God. And I want you to know, devil, I ain't having it no other way. Do you hear me, you beast? You get out in Jesus' name. And that's the way you get it done. You don't come in and say, oh, please, God, will you do something to the devil? He says, you make me sick. You have no faith. You don't know the word. I've already disarmed him. I've already been down there. I've defeated him, stripped him of all of his power and armor. And I give all this power to you. Now do something with my word. And do it boldly. Please, God, will you take this brain tumor off of my little son? Forget it. Stop praying. Ain't nothing going to happen. You got to know what the Word says. You got to know who you are and what you can do in the name of Jesus. You know, let me ask you something. When you walk up in the mirror, when you looked at yourself in the mirror this morning, who did you see? Did you see you or did you see Jesus? Who should you have seen? If you're a born-again Christian, how far is Jesus from you? He's in you. Colossians 1.13, Colossians 1.27. He, he translated us or delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of light. And this is a mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where is Christ? Right here. So when you look at yourself, who do you see? You're a little Jesus. Is that true? You are a little Jesus. Christ in you. The hope of glory. When you begin to see yourself like that. Hey, now then you can humble yourself and die to the flesh and let the king live through you. And that's when you can see some things happen. I mean, when you go to that throne of grace, when you bow yourself at the throne of grace in faith and you worship and praise the King, the Father, and as you do that, and then you can stand up and say, Father, that devil down there on earth has been beating up on my uncle or my sister or my brother or whatever, and I am fed up with that beast doing it. Now, in the name of Jesus, I am commanding, according to Luke 10, 19, 20, for that devil to withdraw his wicked spirits in the heavenlies and his demons on earth, and you will get your filthy hands off of my uncle and stop blinding his mind to the truth. Now, Father, I know in John 6, 44, you said nobody comes into the kingdom. He said they'd be drawn by you. 
So I'm asking you, Father, in Jesus' name, to send that Holy Spirit that's on earth and begin to convict my uncle of sin. Draw him into the kingdom. And then, Lord, I'm asking you to send the proper labor. If that labor can be me, send me. I'm a ball of fire. Let me go get him. But if I'm not the one who can do it, if he's the right one, you send him. But whoever the right labor is, you send him. But I claim my uncle's spirit, soul, and body for you and for service under your kingdom forever in the name of Jesus. And he's saved because it's written in that book. And the Lord says, now we can get something done. Now we can get something done. That's what I've been waiting for you to do. And you go in and you get people saved. You know, when I first learned these principles years ago when I was still an engineer working in the business field, one morning I had three shifts of guys, and so I'd have to be out there all hours to get to meet them all. One night I was out there at 3 or 4 in the morning and meeting one of the overnight crews, and I was talking to them. Of course, you know, I've been such a spirit-filled Christian for so long. I talked to these men, and in just a matter of a few minutes, you know, I'm talking, are you a Christian? Do you go to church? People said, you can't do that in the workplace. Hey, it depends on who you work for. I work for Jesus. And he tells me to go and evangelize the world. So I've learned that not listening to man, listen to God. But one of the men I walked up to, I said, good morning, sir. He was the lead on the morning shift. And I said, what's your name? He said, I'm Larry Gooch. I said, well, praise God. I understand you're the lead. He said, yes, sir, I'm lead. I've been working here several 10, 12 years, whatever it was. He's in his 50s. And I said, are you a born-again Christian? And I would not repeat the words that come out of his mouth. <laughs> blankety-blank, no. I ain't one of them blankety-blank Christians. You want to talk about that blankety-blank religious junk? You can talk to them guys over there, but don't you talk to me about it. I said, you said your name's Larry Gooch? He said, yes. I said, good. I said, you're going to change. He said, what makes you think so? I said, I know the king, and I'm taking you to the throne of grace. He had no idea what I was. Ever that next morning, when I started to work, I drive along there in my pickup, and I said, Lord, here I come. I'm coming to the throne of grace, driving down the road in my pickup, both eyes wide open. I went up to the throne of grace. I said, Lord, I want to worship you and praise you and thank you that you give me this privilege to come into the throne of grace, to come in here. You're on my side. I said, now that devil is creating havoc with one of my men that works for me down there where I work now. I said, he's blinded his mind to the truth, and I ain't going to have it. I said, now Satan, I want you to know I'm talking directly to you right now. And as far as I'm concerned, you can be sitting right there in the seat of my pickup right now. And when I tell you to sit down there and shut up and be quiet, you've got to do it. Because when Jesus spoke to them demons, when that demon in Mark chapter 1 said, we know who you are, you're the Son of God. He said, shut up and come out of you. And the demon didn't know why they had to obey, but they did. And he said, a new teaching. Wow, this man speaks with power and authority. That same power and authority has been given to us by the king. I said, now, devil, I want you to know you're not going to blind that man's mind no more. You're going to, get, you're going to withdraw your demons. You're going to withdraw your spiritual wickedness. Evidence, and you're going to get out of his life. You're going to leave him alone. And I ain't taking no for an answer because it's written in the word. Do you understand me, you devil? I said, now you can get out of my pickup. Go. Every morning, I did the same thing for about two or three weeks. I never even went back down and talked to that guy. No more. I just went to the throne. About three weeks later, I'm starting one morning going real early, about four o'clock. And he finds out I'm up in the office. 
he comes up there and he's got a cup of coffee and he'd been to break room and he said, Chief, can I sit down and talk with you a minute while I drank my coffee this morning? I said, sure, I'm just doing some computer work here. Go ahead, Larry, sit down. He said, he's drinking his coffee. He said, where do you go to church? I said, oh, I'll go to First Baptist Church up in Justin. He said, what do you think about this guy so-and-so? It was a pastor in the Dallas area that had got involved in some stuff. And I said, oh, well, he's a great man of God, but he made a mistake. But I said, you know, God can take care of his children. He asked me about another one. He said, what do you think about this guy? I said, well, he's another great man of God. I said, he got involved in a little sin, but I said, he repented. He said, Thurman, don't you think these preachers just want all they ask for is money? I said, no, that's not true. But I said, it takes money to run the kingdom of God. I said, you know, it takes money to run this business. And I said, the kingdom of God is no different. It takes money. So I said, some of them ask for money, some don't. But I said, it does take money. I said, God tells us to give our money into his kingdom. I said, he tells us if we don't tithe, that is the only place in the word of God where God said he will curse you with a curse if you don't tithe. I said, everywhere else, he says he'll just curse you. But the majority of the church don't believe that because they don't tithe. I said, now then, you know, I'll just stop right here and interject something here. If the Lord were to do the same thing to us, he did to Ananias and Sapphira, you know. If it come time, okay, today is, we're all here today. We're all Christians. We're all members. God said in his word to tithe. He said, if you don't tithe, I'll curse you with a curse. So Brother Milton says, okay, here's the bucket down here. We start here on the first one. Come up, put your tithe in. Not your offering, but your tithe. If you want to give an offering over the tithe, that's okay, but bring it. And the first one gets up, brings his envelope and drops it and goes back and sets down and the second one gets up and comes up and puts it in there and walks back and sets down. The third one gets up and comes up and drops it in and turns around and bam, he falls dead on the floor. And he goes down and checks and says, well, he's dead. Let's see what happened. Then he picked up his envelope and he put $20 in there. But he's driving a new Lexus to church. Now, you don't drive a new Lexus making $200 a week. So he lied to God. So God cursed him with a curse and he killed him. Okay, he said, no problem. Obviously, he lied to God. He said, somebody just, you know, take him out next. (laughs) Now, let me tell you. I'm going to tell you that everybody come out. You'd either change your check or you'd come in fear and trembling. But now God's merciful to us. If he wasn't merciful to us when he said, I'll curse you with a curse. If the first time you didn't tithe... And he cursed you with a curse and you were killed. There would be nobody left. You all know where I'm coming from? But God said in his word. And, you know, the, the blessing part of that was he said, now, if you don't tithe, I'll curse you with a curse. But he said, this is the only place in scripture you can put me to the test. Only place. He said, you bring your tithe and give it into my house. And this is where you go to church. This is where your tithe is due right here. If you bring your tithe down here, he said, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you will not be able to contain. And I'm going to tell you, if this church tithed 100% and was obedient to God's word, they wouldn't be a sick person in this church. You know that? They would be nothing but blessing in this church because we're obedient. Now, see, we don't believe God's word. So that's why we have the problem we have. But anyway, this guy said, don't you think all these people want all this money? Just so they can have money. I said, no, the money that goes to preachers don't go directly to them. Some of them take a salary. Some of them don't even work for a salary. Some of them work for free. 
But I said, it takes money to run their ministries. So I said, they have to have the money. I said, besides that, they will listen to the wrong voice. And the voice of the devil will say, now don't you dare go down to that church. Because you know all that preacher is going to ask you for is money. And, you know, I said, people will hear that and they'll believe that. And then they won't go to church. And then one day when they die, the devil and his demons will come scream, dragging you screaming into the pit of hell. And you'll spend forever in a godless hell. And man, when I said that, he liked to knock his coffee over. His face got red. His eyes got big. He jumped up. He said, I've heard that voice. I said, oh, you've heard the devil talk to you. He said, I've heard that voice. What you just said, I've heard that. I said, it's just the devil. He's deceiving you. I said, he's going to do his best to keep you sick and afflicted so you won't come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He said, that devil ain't going to have me. I said, he's going to have you unless you change your ways. What do I need to do? I said, tell you what to do. This morning as you leave at 7 o'clock, you stop by the Walmart, go to the Bible section, you get you a new living Bible. And you read it. And you start in the book of Matthew. And you read the book of Matthew. And if you have any questions, you come ask me. And I'll help you. Well, within three weeks' time, that man came and said, Thurman, I mean, I'm reading this book, and I don't understand what it means when Jesus talks about I need to be born again. What does that mean? I said, well, I'll tell you. And so I had the privilege to lead that man into the kingdom of God and get him saved. Now, see, this is a man that said, I don't want to hear about this religious junk. Every other word was a word of profanity. Who do you think was talking out of his mouth? The devil. How much power do we have over the devil? Hey, stop letting this beast beat up on you. You know, stop letting him drag your loved ones to hell. You have been given as a church... We have been given power and authority from the throne of grace over this beast. I mean, he loves to kill us, but he can't unless we don't know it, you know. But when you get a hold of who you are and what you can do, and that God's on your side, that's good news. And the king wants to do good things for us, but he only does it when we do it his way. He don't do it your way or mine. He does it his way. And when you do it his way, he shows up. So anyway, I get this man saved, and a few weeks later, out there at work, one of the young men come to me and said, Thurman, this religious stuff you talk about, it really works. I said, of course it does. It's a word of God. Why? He says, Larry, every other, said, I've known this guy for 10 years at least. Every other word out of his mouth all day long is a word of profanity. But he said, all of a sudden, it's gone. He can talk without it. When I got him saved and kicked the devil out of him, what happened to the profanity? The devil left. See? So his vocabulary changed. So then a few weeks later, or maybe a few months later, I was out there in the truck shop, and Larry was doing something, and he was trying to do something. He was having a terrible problem. He said, my arm. I said, what's wrong with your arm? Oh, he said, Thurman, I got these bad rotor cuffs in both arms. And I had surgery done on this one and said it was so painful. It took me three months before I could even lift hardly anything. And he said, I ain't going to have this one fixed. He said, it's just too painful. I said, but you're a son of God now. You're no longer a child of the devil. I said, all the promises of God are yes and amen to the children of God. I said, Larry, 
you don't have to have that bad rotocuff anymore. He said, what? I said, no. I said, go home tonight, and I only want you to read one verse 12 times. And I want you to read Matthew 18, 19. One verse. How does faith come? By hearing of what? The Word. So how does faith come? By hearing the Word. I said, go home tonight and read Matthew 18, 19, 12 times. You come in and tomorrow, and when I come in, you tell me what that verse said. I come in the next morning, he said, Thurman, I read that over and over and over and over. And he said, Jesus said that if two of us on earth agreed about anything, he'd do it. And I said, and that's exactly what he meant. So I said, you don't have to have a bad rotocuff no more. I said, now see, you're saved, you're redeemed. All those sins that he had committed all of his life, all that profanity and everything, when he got redeemed by the blood, how many of those sins were washed away? How many? You mean he's clean and pure as you are? Hey, isn't that good news? That's good news. He's washed in the blood. So I said, the devil has no more legal right to you. So I said, you and me pray. I said, now, Father, in the name of Jesus... Larry's faith is up there. So I'm asking Father in Jesus' name, according to Matthew 18, 19, to fix his arm. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done because you made me the promise. I said, now, Larry, move your arm. Oh, he said, oh, it still hurts just like it did. I said, no problem. No problem. Jesus does things two ways. Number one, he does miracles. When he does a miracle, it's done. But I said, number two, he does healings. And healing takes time. So I said, it's done. Your arm is healed because it's written in the Word. It's done. Don't you doubt. He said, what am I supposed to do? I said, just go praising Him and thanking Him. I'm healed, Lord. Thank you because your Word says it. About three weeks later, Larry come running into my office one morning, about six o'clock, screaming with both hands up like this. said, look, boss, look. I said, when did it happen? He said, I don't even know. He said, I was out there putting a hydraulic truck on a a hydraulic pump up on a truck, and I'm looking up there, and I'm putting this, and I thought, I can't do this with my left arm. (laughs) But I'm doing it, and there's no pain. So he said, look. I says, is Jesus wonderful, or is he wonderful? He said, he's wonderful. So now he's got both arms healed. So a few months later, this guy's down, and he can't come to work. They called me and said, 911 had to come get him and take him to Grapevine to the hospital. I said, what's wrong with him now? He said, he's down in his back. Okay, so that afternoon after work, I drove up to Grapevine, walked into his room. I said, here he is. Boy, he's got them stretchers on him, you know, and them weights, and he's stretched out. And I said, what's wrong with you? He said, well, Thurman, I've had a bad back for 30 years. And he said, this morning it got to hurting so bad I couldn't get out of bed. Not anything I could do. Uh, he said, they had to call 911. My wife did, and they come down and got me and brought me up here. They x-rayed me, said, my back's all messed up. They're going to have to leave me stressed out here for two or three, four days. Then they're going to have to do surgery and, and uh, fuse two or three discs in my back, and I'm going to probably be out of work for three or four or five months. may never be able to do what I could do before. I said, well, you can either take that diagnosis or you can take the Word of God. I said, now, in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus made us a promise. I said, in Mark 16, 18, Jesus said, now just think, Jesus made us, the church, these promises. Now you need to read in your book to see if I'm telling you the truth or if I'm telling you a lie. But let's start with verse 15. Mark 16, verse 15. 
Jesus said, now go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To all them that will believe and be baptized will be saved. And those that will not believe will be condemned to hell. Did he say that? So where do you tell us to go preach the word? Everywhere. That means at work. That means in your office. Now then somebody says, oh, we got a mission trip going to Argentina. I want to go. My first question, how many people you got saved in your neighborhood? You know, how many people you got saved in the town you live in? Well, I ain't never got one saved, but I want to go to Argentina. You don't want to go down there to save people. You want to go down there to play. If you ain't getting people saved in your hometown, ain't no use sending you on a mission trip. You know, this is not, this is not a resort that we're involved with. This is the kingdom of God and it's war. When you get a hold of that, it'll change the way you do business. But anyway... After that, he says, and Jesus said, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Is that what he said? These signs shall follow them that believe. Now, I realize I was an unbelieving believer about two-thirds of my life. You do not want to be an unbelieving believer because that is sin. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, the name of Jesus, you shall do what? Drive out devils. Now, boy, you tell a Baptist church that. And the preacher will come over and pat you on the back and say, Thurman, will you please stop talking about the devil? You might make him mad and he might attack us. (laughs) I used to be a Baptist, so I know. (laughs) How much power do I have over the devil? (laughs) Praise God, son. All We don't have to be afraid of the devil. He has to be afraid of us. The devil has, when you know who you are, the devil cringes when you speak. You know what the devil should do? When you wake up in the morning, every demon of hell ought to flee and cringe and say, He's awake again. Get out of his way. That's that's where we should walk. You know that? But Larry, there he was all stretched out. The Word of God says, I said, Larry, the Word of God says, And these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name we shall drive out devils. We shall speak with new tongues. We shall handle the serpent, which is the devil. And no deadly poison shall hurt us. And you shall lay hands on the sick. And if it's God's will, they'll get healed. Oh, they will get healed. I said, Larry, there's another promise right there to get your back healed. All you've got to do is believe it. He said, wow, Thurman, that Matthew 18, 19 sure did work good on my arm. He said, let's do it. So I reached over, laid hands on him, commanded the devil to leave, commanded him to be healed in the name of Jesus. I didn't spend a lot of time begging or pleading. You don't do no good. You don't have to make them long prayers. Just lay your hands and do what the Word says. Got your sins repented of? Now you devil of hell, you got to leave because it's written. Be healed in Jesus' name. I said, it's done. I said, now then, it's already 8 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock, whatever it was, is after work. I said, just lay there tonight and get you a good night's rest. They already got you all strapped down, tied down, stretched out and everything else. I said, but in the morning when you wake up, get up, take them weights off, get out of that bed and go home. Now, see, that's faith. 
So the next morning, he believed. I mean, this guy has never been to church except the first ten years of his life, and that was in a Catholic church, so he didn't know nothing about the Word of God. I didn't have to cross-train him. You know? I mean, when you see God's Word work, I mean, you just believe it. But now, if you've been to church all your life, and they've taught you that these promises don't work, then it really, it's, you know, the hardest people in the world to cross-train is Baptist preachers. You know, I mean, they're the toughest in the world. Now, the Baptist people are some of the easiest ones to get healed and to teach the promises because Baptist people are believers in the Word. If you can show it to them in the Word, man, they got it. But if you've been taught all your life, I mean, you go in, I mean, it's unfortunate. You go into a Baptist seminary in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and you tell them you speak in tongues, they'll kick you out and you can't be a member there. Isn't that a shame? What a shame! They don't believe the word. It's a shame that's that we don't believe what God said in his word. But hey, I don't have a corner on that market. I don't, all I know is I don't care whether you're Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Pentecostal, Assembly of God, whatever you are. God has a way to do something. And it's the way he wrote it in this book. And if you do it like he says, he'll show up for you every time. He don't look at denomination. He just looks and sees who believes what he wrote in my book. That's, all, that's the only way to get it done. So anyway, did Jesus say we can drive out the devil and we can lay hands on the sick and they'll get well? Did he say that? Now then, what did he tell us to do? We have to believe with no doubt in our heart. So Larry said, wow, that sure did work good on my arm. Matthew eighteen nineteen. So if it works, hey, if Jesus made that promise over to Mark 16, praise God. You lay hands on me and then I'm healed because it's written in the Word. I did that, walked off and left him. Next morning he got up, told his wife, said, unstrap them weights off my legs. I'm getting up and going to the house. She said, but honey, they said, she said, I don't care. He said, I don't care what them doctors said. The word of God said, and if Jesus said it, I'm going to believe him instead of anybody else. Now unstrap them weights. Well, she reluctantly unstrapped them weights. He pulled his legs up. There ain't no pain, no whatsoever. He gets up, puts his clothes on, and the doctor comes in for the morning visit. He said, what are you doing out of bed? He said, Jesus has healed me. I'm going to the house. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, sure, one of them kind. He said, get back in that bed. He said, no, I'm not getting back in that bed. I'm healed. He said, no, no, said, you just stayed stretched out for a day now, and you're feeling better, but you're not healed. He said, I'm telling you, Jesus has healed me. I'm going to the house. It's written in the Word. I'm going to the house. The doctor said, okay, okay, okay. Let's run some more tests, and we'll show you that you're not healed. He said, I don't need no tests. They said, we are not letting you go home. The x-rays we made yesterday, your back is in terrible shape, and you ain't going to go home for a long time. He said, I'm telling you, Jesus healed me. I'm going to the house. doctor said, you ain't leaving until I check your back again. He said, well, if that's the case, then I'm healed. Praise God. I ain't doubting the word. But said, go ahead if you've got to x-ray me. They spent all day x-raying that man. Finally, at 5 o'clock, I didn't, he'd come to work. And he said, I'm going to try to tell them all day. And there wouldn't nobody believe me. When they saw the reports, when they saw the x-rays, they couldn't find nothing wrong. They still wouldn't believe. They kept trying to find something wrong with me. But said they couldn't. So they finally released me. But he said, I'll be at work tomorrow. Praise God. And that's been years ago, and that man has never had another problem with his back since that day. I mean,
When we stop doing it our way and do it his way, he'll answer. That's what we've got to do. We've got the church. Jesus don't care if you're a Baptist. He don't care if you're Assembly of God. He don't care if you're Pentecostal. He don't care if you're Methodist. He don't care if you're Catholic. He just wants to know, do you know my son? And do you know my word? And if you'll do what I say, my way, then you can have what I said. But he said, let every man be a liar and let God be true. Well, when I learned those principles and stepped over into that world, I began to see our Lord do these kind of things at the workplace. I began to pray over things at work. I could do anything at work. There was nothing that could master me at work. There was not a single problem they could throw at me that I come to the king of grace and stand on his word. He would open my understanding and I could do things. And I tell you, it is absolutely magnificent when you get a hold of this. When he said, I didn't come just to give you life. I come to give you, what did he say, ma'am? Abundant. There's a lady that studied the word. But we need to learn how to make that work for you, right? I've come not only to give you life, but to give you abundant life. And when you learn how to step into the world of faith and learn how to pray according to the word, you will be able to do great and mighty things where you work. And you can blow people's socks off. It's amazing how much fun it is to be able to be a master of everything because you're serving the king. Now, let me tell you what. When you go to the king and you ask him something and he shows you how to do something and you do it and everybody says, wow, you're something. Don't you take that glory. Anybody remember what happened whenever God gave King Herod the ability to make that awesome speech in the book of Acts? Anybody read that story? Whenever These people got up and said, this is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of God. And I can see Herod in his robes strutting and saying, aren't I something? Who knows what happened to him? What did his angel do to him? His angel smote him. And he fell, and it says the maggots began to eat him right before their eyes. And they watched King Herod Herod die as the maggots eat him. Because his angel smote him because he would not give glory to God for his wonderful speech. Ooh, I don't want to go there, do you? Hey, I'm just a little child. I humble myself before the king. Whatever he does with me, I give him the glory. I don't care what it, because I can't do a thing without the king. I can't even take a breath without the king. But with him, you can live the abundant life. Wow, how quick the time goes by. Well, praise the Lord. We're going to stop there and we're going to start over tonight. And we're going to have a great time tonight. We're going to continue to talk about faith, the Word of God, and how it works. Now then, if there is anybody here, like I say, that does have something that you need to be prayed for, and you cannot come back another session, if you're out of town then we'll pray for you. But I really don't want to pray for you if you can come back. I'd rather wait up through the week if you have a need because I want your faith 
in the Word of God and these great promises that are in there, way up there. So when we pray for you, there's no doubt that you're going to get from God what He promised you. So other than that, Milton, I'm going to turn it over to you. We'll do whatever you want to do. I mean, I, I didn't realize it was 12:30. I looked at my watch while ago, and it's five minutes till 12, and now then it's 12:30. So what do you want to do? Let's stand. Tonight is at 6. Everybody say 6. Don't call me this afternoon. (laughs) It's at 6. And the rest of the week will be at 7, but tonight is at 6. So let's pray. Father, we ask that the seed that has been sown would find the target in our spirits that you want to penetrate. Father, that that seed would begin to grow that your life would be released in us, in this place. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to say one thing to you. Thurman's probably, he may disagree with this, and if he does, he can say something tonight, but I'm going to say one thing. And that is, if, if I'm a little kid and I go in a candy store, and the guy, and I say, how much is this, how much is that, how much is this, and the guy says, it's all free, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to walk out of that candy store with three or four bags full of candy. And, and when you go out here, you need to understand something. That this is God's ministry. And, and the CDs and DVDs, everything that's out there, it's, it's God's. And so be sensitive. In other words, don't get five of everything. And you take it home, and five years from now, you haven't listened to one of anything. Okay? Ask the Lord what you're supposed to pick up. Ask the Lord what he wants you to listen to. And, and then the stuff you take, make sure you're going to listen to it. Because I've been to too many seminars. I tell you, you go to these seminars and I've come back, Janice can tell you, I've come back with $200 worth of books and tapes. And we've got books and tapes in our office that have not been opened in 10 years. That at the time, it seemed like a really great thing. Oh, we need this stuff. And I brought it back. This stuff is still sealed. I mean, the seals are on it, you know. And we paid $200 for some of this stuff on churches and taxes. And it seemed like, yeah, we need to have this stuff. So I bought all of it, and I never listened to it, okay? So I'm just saying, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Because even though he's saying, we're not charging you, there's still a lot of money involved in this stuff. So I'm just saying, take what the Lord tells you to take, and take only what you know you're going to listen to. Fair enough? All right. Good enough. Six o'clock tonight. Don't call me. Six o'clock. Praise the Lord one more time. It's good for all of you to be here tonight, and I'm grateful for the privilege to be here. Father, let's just praise you and worship you and thank you for the privilege once again to break the bread of life. And, Lord, we thank you that you are our King and our Lord and our God and that you give us this word and you told us what to do. And we are the blessed of all people that have had the written word of God, that we can study it and see it and read it today like we can and thank you for it father and thank you for giving us the privilege to live in this time and we praise you and we want you to be blessed in all we do tonight in jesus name amen Amen. something i began to notice in the scripture as i started back in genesis i noticed that god said and god said and god said and it happened and every time he said something happened And I thought, well, yeah, he's God. This is awesome. So I didn't have a problem with God said, and it happened. 
But then I came to places like the book of Daniel, or some many places. Uh, you know, you come to David, you come to the book of Daniel, uh, you come to other places in the Word, and you notice that everybody's heard the story about how little David, a little teenage boy, how he was not big enough to fight, so he was sent over to his brothers that were fighting the soldiers with some groceries. And he gets over there and he said, what's going on? And here's this big, giant, tall Philistine over there running around. You know, he's making fun of our God and all that stuff. And everybody is cowed down. And David said, what are you afraid of this guy for? And they said, well, look at him. David saw into the faith world. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine, I will cut his head off. I will kill him. And you know, I got to notice what David was saying. I mean, what he was saying was what he believed God would do. So he went up there and he took that slingshot and he took those five smooth stones. And of course, I was asked the story, asked the question one time by, a man, he says, why did David take five stones if there's only one giant? I said, well, I don't know. So I went back and read the scripture and I found out there was five of them, you know, but David didn't know how many was going to come. So he took one for every one of them. And so, but he only had to kill one, but he went out saying the right things. And then I come to the scripture in the book of Daniel where these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king says, if you guys don't bow down and worship me and my idol, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they said, O king, may you live forever. But the God we serve is well able to deliver us through that fiery furnace, and he will deliver us through that fiery furnace if you throw us in that fiery furnace. And I got to looking at their confession. Their confession. And I, I noticed this trend all the way through the scripture, whatever we confess in faith is what we get. And I thought, wow, isn't that amazing how God has put this in his scripture all over the place? Whatever David said, God made happen. Can you imagine? Here's a little bitty tiny guy out here. I mean, you know, a little teenager. Maybe he wasn't about 14 or 15 years old. Just a little kid. And Saul said, if you're going to go to battle... I gotta put my armor on you. And he tried to put his armor on him and saw David couldn't even hold up the armor. He said, I can't fight that guy with this stuff on me. He said, All I need is a slingshot and God. I mean, with that you got a majority, right? And so he did. He killed that giant. And then of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the most misunderstood and most misinterpreted and, and the the scripture that is the most misunderstood. In the entire Word of God, by the greatest doctors of theology ever, is located right there in Daniel chapter 10. You know, I don't know how many people, I don't know how many times I read that, misunderstood that. And then one day, the Lord revealed to me, He said, Son, you, you don't, <laughs> you're reading that wrong. And I read that and I noticed it says, He says, You know, look what these boys say. And I went over there and He says, If it be so, the king said, now, if you guys don't bow down and worship me, I'm going to throw you in the fire furnace. And the boy said, if it be so, what? If it be so, that you throw us in the fire furnace. 
we will still not bow down and worship your God. We're going to worship our God. And that king says, I'll tell you what, you little runts, you little kids, if you three boys don't bow down and worship my God, I'm going to heat that furnace seven times hotter and I'm going to throw every one of you in there. And here he was, the king. And then three boys, nice, humble, said, O king, if it be so that you throw us in the fiery furnace, let it be known that we will still not bow down and worship your God because the God we serve is well able to deliver us through that furnace and he will deliver us through that furnace. And that's what your scripture says. And then they make a statement, but if not, and everybody in the world, almost every doctor of theology I have run into, I have read commentary after commentary after commentary, and all of them says right here, it says, but if not, he does not deliver them through. In fact, the NLT is even in plain English misinterpreted right there that says, if it be not that he does not deliver us from the furnace, but that is not what that says. Those boys said, but if not, we will still not bow down and worship your God. Their confession was so powerful. The Lord revealed to me as I was reading that one day. He said, you know, son, if you was interpreting that correct, you would know that those boys made a positive confession. And they believed in their heart that I would deliver them through that. And they didn't say, but if I don't. They said, that's not what they was talking about at all. They said, but if not, Nebuchadnezzar, you do not throw us in the furnace. We will still not bow down and worship your God. And I, I got to thinking and looking at that, and I thought, you know, that's, Lord, that's exactly what you're saying. Because let's look at it like this. If they're saying a negative confession, if it's not true... That he does not deliver us through the furnace, we will still not bow down and worship your God. If he does not deliver them through the furnace and they go through the fire and they're burned, what's going to be left? Nothing. The ashes are definitely not going to bow down and worship him, are they? See, that's not what they said. It's amazing how I misinterpreted that, how many years I misinterpreted that scripture. And when you study God's word, you get in there. If you get in there and you misinterpret it enough times... Finally, he will talk to you and say, son, that's not what I meant. He'll tell you the truth. And so then I, of course, saw it. And I thought, you know, these boys' confession was positive. There was no doubt in their heart that their God was able and he would deliver them through the furnace. Now then, I am completely convinced that the enemy has done what he's done to get people to misinterpret that scripture. So they say, well, you know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But no, when you think like that, you never get anything from God. Those boys' confession was, he will. He is well able and he will. He will not fail me. He will heal me. It's already done. Praise God. Your confession has to be positive. And I noticed this. All through the scriptures, I noticed this. The confession. So I begin to understand that when I come to Proverbs 18:21, I read a simple little statement. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. 
everyone shall eat the fruit of their tongue. Whatever you say is what you're going to have. And I got to looking at this and I thought, you know, I wonder how much scripture is in the word about the tongue. So I begin to take the word of God apart, cover to cover. And I begin to study about the power of our confession, the power of our speech, the power of our tongue, and what the Word has to say about it. So I finally got enough stuff to make one 90-minute tape on the tongue. And I had some raving reviews on that thing. So I continued to study. And now then it's up to two 90-minute CDs or or two 90-minute Cassettes and three CDs. A little more information on the third CD than there is on the tapes because the CDs are capable of holding nearly 80 minutes themselves. And then I've made several others, teachings, DVDs and everything. i got all kinds of stuff out there on the power of the tongue or about your tongue. And if you will listen to them, it will change your life forever. And as I noticed that, I thought, started thinking... We have what we say with our mouth as Christians. And then I got to looking at Mark eleven twenty three. Mark eleven twenty three, you couldn't be any clearer. Jesus we do not realize we just think they're words, but no your words count. Your words are powerful. Your words are filled with faith or unbelief. And you will have whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart. You go to Mark eleven twenty three, and it a statement there. Jesus had just spoken to a fig tree. Now, some people will say you're a little bit off if you speak to your flowers or your roses. But Jesus, he didn't think you were crazy. He spoke to a fig tree. And if Jesus can speak to a fig tree, and the fig tree died... And he turned to you and me and said, not only can you do what I've done to the fig tree, but if you speak to the mountain. I mean, did Jesus say this? So what do we think? Will we not believe him? He said, if you think I did something wonderful by speaking to that fig tree, he said, I tell you the truth. You can speak to a mountain, and if you command it to move from here into the sea and you don't doubt in your heart, he said, I tell you that mountain will obey you. That's the power I've given you on the earth, if you can believe that. So he said, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you will have it. He told you you could move a mountain, and then he goes so far to say, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you'll have whatever you say. And I see these great and awesome statements in there, and I thought, you know, Lord, this is a little bit beyond my wildest dreams that I can say something and it come to pass. But it depends on where your faith level of the Word of God is. If you learn these principles, you will change every word that comes out of your mouth. You know what? My mother used to make statements like this, and some of you mothers or grandmothers may very well be just as guilty as my mother was. When I was a kid at home, The mailman would come by out there. We lived out in the country. And the mailman would come by, and he'd leave the mail in the the box out the way out the front at the road. 
And, I mean, I would see him, and I'd love to go get the mail. So I would run out that door. And, of course, maybe it rained last night, you know, and gr- the grass is wet. Or maybe it's even cool. Maybe it's 50, 60 degrees. You know, a kid, he knows, he just hit the front door and run out there barefooted, living in the country. You know, didn't know what it was to wear shoes, you know, in the country. You know, I mean, I, we're sophisticated today, but, you know, if you can't wear shoes. To, but anyway, I didn't know what. I'd start out that door and mom would say, son, don't run out there in that cold grass. You're going to catch your death of cold. Some of y'all laugh like you said that before yourself, right? Well, let me tell you, that's a wrong confession. Your confession is doing damage to your children because you believe that in your heart. You believe with all your heart that running on that cold grass, that cold ground, would give your children a cold. And you even said your death of cold. I've heard many people say that. I heard my own mother say that. Did she mean to speak a curse over me? No. But she didn't understand the power of her confession. I've seen people come down to church. Somebody that's been lost or out there in the wilderness and and all kinds of bad things happen to them. Maybe they've been on drugs, alcohol, or whatever they've done. And they come in and they hear somebody and they hear a pastor preach and they get saved. Or, or they come in and rededicate their life and they come up here and crying and tears and everything. And most people say, oh, I've seen that kid. He's out there on drugs and alcohol. He don't mean that. He'll be right back out there next week. He ain't going to do that. Well, you know, next week or next month when he's right back out there doing the same thing, they said, see, I told you he would never make it. Well, the reason he didn't make it was because of you. Your confession was wrong. If everybody in the church has said God's power can handle that, God's power will deliver that boy. That boy won't never be back out on the street. He won't never be on drugs again. That's going to be the best boy i ever seen in my life. If everybody said that, The power of God would be so strong on that boy, he could never get back into that junk. No way. Your confession was wrong. I began to notice these principles. And I thought, Lord, if what you said in this book is true, if I can do what you say, then I have no limitations on this earth as your child. None. I can rule my life with the Word of God. I can do great and mighty things in your name. I said, in my business, in the workplace, I can do great and awesome things. I can pray and speak what I want, and it'll happen. And I learned these principles, and it did. It started working. I mean, there wasn't anything I couldn't do, nothing. It didn't make any difference what it was. Somebody come to me, like I shared just a little bit this morning. I remember when I got out of engineering school, and I went down to Dallas, and I went to work for Braniff uh, International Airlines, and they wanted me to be a instructor on the Lockheed Electra. They also wanted me to teach the engineering course to all the new flight engineers and pilots that came in. And, of course, I walked in, and the guy said, uh, I got two jobs for you. I said, what's that? He said, I want you to teach the engineering course. It's only a six-weeks course, and then I want you to teach all the systems except avionics on the Lockheed Electra, which is a four-engine turboprop. It took him about that long to say that, but it took me a little longer than that to learn all that. <clears throat> but I got out there, and first thing somebody would say when I'd tell them what my new job was, they said, Thurman, that's impossible. Nobody could do that. Hey, their confession is wrong. 
I said, of course I can do that. I can do all things through Christ. Philippians 4.13 makes you a promise. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. What can you do through Christ? Well, if you believe the Word, if you believe the Word, you have no limitations. God did not give us any limitations as His children. But we have been defeated by the enemy. The enemy has deceived us. He makes us think we're nobodies, we're nothings, and we can't do anything. So when I begin to see these principles and begin to say, hey, I can do these things, and I saw God's power work in my life, in the business world. Well, then in the spirit world, I begin later years, many years later, I began to teach what I called a healing school because I realized I could get people healed. I mean, not only would God answer my prayer when I learned how to do these things and stepped into this world, not only could I cast out demons, and we had a lot of fun at lunch, all of us, Pastor and me and Ty, and I was talking about our getting into the demonic world and how scared we were, you know, and how we wanted to make another door where there wasn't a door or jump out of a window when a demon manifests and all the stuff. that we we all been through the same thing, right, Brother Milton? Every one of us. But now then, I'm not afraid of a demon at all. I mean, I'm well trained. I mean, the devil himself walked in that door. He wouldn't be here long. Because I know there's a lot of people in this room know who they are in Christ. And if that beast walked in here, he's going to get his little tail kicked and he's going to be out of here quick. Because we're men and women of God that believe. I have no fear of the devil. None whatsoever. My king, which lives in me, defeated him 2,000 years ago, and he's given me all power and authority over that beast, so I have no fear of the devil. None. You know, and you ought to be the same way. Every one of us ought to be the same way. Previous, I didn't know that, and when the devil would manifest in somebody, it would scare me, and I mean, I'm wanting to run away. I had no idea who I was, but sickness and disease does not intimidate me anymore. I've learned who I am, what I can do in Christ, and when I've learned these things over 20 years ago, I mean, I'm now coming up on my 68th birthday here not too many months in the future, and in over 20-plus years, I have not had one single sick day, not one. Now, if I've been able to do this, and God is no respecter of persons, if you study like I have and learn what I've learned, you can do the same thing. I have learned that God did not plan for you and me to be sick. He planned for us to be well, but you'll have to study the Word, because the first 40 years of my life, I had many sickness and disease. When I was young and vibrant and shouldn't have had any sickness and disease, I'm having them. But then I learned the power of God and the power of my speech. And so as I stepped into this realm and started teaching what I called a healing school and saw people get healed, I saw all kinds of miraculous things happen. I mean, many things in the healing schools. I've seen God do instantaneous miracles of people. I've learned things from experience. And I've realized the power of my confession. And I was really getting strong in my confession. And I was, I was just saying, Lord, this is awesome. Well, as your time goes on and the greater things you learn and the greater mountains that you climb with faith... When you get to the top of one of those, you think, man, I'm at the top. And then you look over the top and you go down. It's a valley there. And all of a sudden you look on the other side and there's one twice as tall as the one you just climbed. Well, that's the way it is with God. He's training you and me to be faith people. He's training us to reign and rule with him in eternity. That's what we're here for. We're here to see who's going to love him and who's going to serve him. And only a tiny number of us 
are making the choice to serve the Lord. Isn't that amazing? You know, I remember a man, I know a man that died in 1979 uh, that went to heaven, an independent Baptist preacher. And when he got there, God told him he wasn't going to get a single reward because he didn't do nothing for him. And this man begged God, pleaded with him, let me go back and let me work for you. I do not want to come to heaven with no rewards. And the Lord told him, okay, I will send you back. But before I send you back, I'm going to send you on a trip of the spirit world. So he sent Howard Pittman through a trip of the spirit world. And Howard Pittman came back to earth in 1979 after he had died. And he's still alive today. I have talked with him myself personally in the last year. But when he was on this highway to heaven, the Lord asked him a question. He said, Howard, in the 15 minutes since your artery severed in your heart and you died on earth, 15 minutes has elapsed from that time to right now. And in that period of time, 2,000 people on earth have died. 2,000. He said, I want you to count the people on the highway to heaven. He counted them. He said, Lord, there's only 50. He said, that's right. Two and a half percent made it. Ninety-seven and a half percent went to hell. Is that sad? That's sad. And it's because we don't know what we're doing as a church. We don't know. We're the fault. We're at fault right now. Every one of us at fault because we had rather, you'd rather, you don't mind letting your preachers get up here and study all week long to prepare for you to hear an hour or two message on Sunday or whenever, y'all, Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning, whenever you come to church. But most of you will not go home and spend an hour or two a day yourself studying the Word of God to learn. We're a lazy beast, you know, I mean, I know. It's, 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 a, it's something driving this thing that I live in to make it do what I want it to do. It's a beast. It's lazy. You know, it's hard to drive the physical body to make it do what the spirit man wants it to do. But as I learn these principles from God's Word, I begin to see the power in my confession. And I'm learning, and my heels are getting bigger, and I'm learning more and more, and I'm seeing greater things And then the Lord put me to the ultimate test on October the 13th of 2001. I had the ultimate test. At least I consider it the ultimate. I was teaching a healing school that afternoon in that Baptist church in Hearst, Texas, when a police officer walked in the back door. And I went back to see what he wanted because you don't normally have a police officer in a uniform with a gun on come in church. So I thought maybe he wanted something. I went back there and he said, sir, are you Thurman Scrivener? And I said, yes, sir. He said, do you have a wife named Betty? I said, yes, sir. He said, you have a daughter named Amanda? I said, yes, sir. He said, there's been an accident. I said, are they injured? He said, sir, they're both deceased. I said, how about the two little girls that were with them? He said, they're both in very, very critical condition. They've been care flighted to Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth. And they're very, very critical. How do you respond now? This is your ultimate test. This is the thing that you don't want to hear. I'd been married to that woman 41 and a half years. My daughter was 24 years old. I had a son 26 years old at the time. I thought I had the perfect family. You know, my daughter had gotten married. My son, he wasn't married yet. He's still going to college at that time. Uh, my daughter had brought forth one baby. She wanted a baby. That's the thing she wanted. 
all, she loved babies all of her life, and when she got married, the first thing she wanted to do was get a baby. And so that's what happened. Ten months later, they had their first baby, little Caitlin, my little granddaughter. And she was three years old. Well, there was another little girl by the name of Kelly Ringstaff that was six years old. She had lived in our home since she was born. Her mother and daddy both worked. Her mother was a computer salesman, and she was gone a lot, so we kept Kelly more than mother and daddy kept her. You know, she did go home sometimes, but she spent a lot of time with us. So she was like her granddaughter, too. Well, here I'd had the most devastating thing in my life happen. And you know what happens to most people when something like this happens? We fall apart and start screaming, God, where were you? Where are you? Or we get mad at him and run off. Well, let me tell you, if you hadn't figured it out yet, there's a war going on on this earth. And you're in the middle of it. And if you don't understand the battle... That's being fought. And I've also got a tape out there called The Battle that talks about this, the battle itself in great detail. It's not about Caitlin's miracle, but it's just the battle that's going on on this earth. And you and I are in a battle every day, and we don't even know it. But anyway, I'm learning these things, and whenever that police officer tells me what's happened, I thank him, and I walk up to the front knowing the battle that I'm in. Now I know right there that my wife of 41 and a half years and my beautiful 24-year-old daughter, which I love them with all my heart, they're gone. They're deceased in a head-on car truck incident. They, my wife ran into a truck head-on at the top of a hill. Both of them were driving 70 miles an hour, and they hit head-on at 70 miles an hour, and neither one of them touched a brake. You can only imagine how bad it tore up the car. If you want to see how bad that car was tore up, you can get the DVD out there, the one about Sid Roth, when Caitlin's uh, miracle on the Sid Roth story. It's only a 30-minute DVD. It was done professionally. We went up to Nashville, and he did the story. But the pictures of the car are on that DVD, and you can't tell what it is. It looks like a piece of junk. It's tore all to pieces. Well, my wife and daughter were tore all to pieces the same way. It literally cut limbs and pieces and tore all on just They were tore all to pieces. They wasn't just killed. They was dismembered. Well, I realize the battle I'm in, and I realize that on this earth, you don't belong to you once you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're bought with a price, and you belong to him. So don't get mad at God. You know, he's the one that's going to do what he wants to do. And everything he does is for him and for his glory on this earth. And you've got to get a picture of that. So don't get attached to nothing on this earth. Not even your mate or your children. Because you never know when you may lose them. See, this is hard for people to grasp. But we're in a war. You want to lead them to Jesus make sure they know Jesus. So when they do leave this earth, they get to graduate and go home to be with the king. Then once we get there, then you don't have to sweat it no more. One day you'll come back here and you'll reign and rule with the king, you know, and whatever your position of power here will be determined by what you did to serve him on this earth. And there's many scriptures that teach that. But anyway, I had the ultimate test. So the first thing I told the group of people that was there, I got up to the front and told them, I said, I've had a tremendous trial in my life. My wife and daughter has just been killed in a car wreck. My grandbaby and Kelly are almost dead, they say. They're very, very critical. 
So I said, I want us to stop and worship the king. That's not the normal thing the average person does. But we stopped and worshiped the king. I worshiped him and praised him and thanked him for his promises that they were all yes and amen. And we worshiped him and praised him for 15 or 20 minutes. And I said, okay, now then I'm going to close up shop today. I'm going to stop the healing school. I'm going to go to Fort Worth. I'm going to first go home and get my son. Then I'm going to Fort Worth to the hospital. And I'm going to get these two little girls healed. Now, you notice my confession. I'm going to the hospital. I'm going to get these two little girls healed. I'm not going over there to see what I can do. I know what I can do in the name of Jesus. I know what the Word of God says. So, I went home and got my son and I drove back down to Cook's Medical Center and I never did speed or nothing. I, some people, whenever, I mean, I remember one time a man that worked for me, they called and said his mother died. She's dead. Ain't nothing he can do. She's dead. He goes screaming home, gets his wife, and they drive 100 miles an hour to Waco. He was lucky he didn't get stopped or didn't kill somebody. Was that stupid? What was he going to do when he got her? She's already dead. He's not going to raise her from the dead. He don't even know you can raise somebody from the dead. This boy didn't even know you could get healed. He was just doing something stupid. How many people do you know do those kind of things? You don't, when you know who you are and what you do in Christ... Nothing bothers you. Nothing rattles your cage. I just went home, got my son, told him, son, we just lost mom and sister. They graduated and got to go home with Jesus. But I said, Caitlin and Kelly's not quite so fortunate. They didn't get to go home. They're still here, and they tell us their little bodies are tore all to pieces, and so you and I have a job to do. We're going to Cook's Medical Center. We're going to get these little girls healed. I walked in that hospital room. When I walked in there, there's a social worker met me at the door, and she said, Sir, you're the grandfather? I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, I want to warn you what Caitlin and Kelly look like before you see them. I said, Ma'am, I understand it was a head-on truck car accident 70 miles an hour. I'm an engineer by trade, so I know what happens to steel and flesh when it's involved in something like this. So it doesn't make any difference what I see. I'm only interested in one thing, and that's what's written in this book. I said, now then, I'm going to go over there. She said, sir, you don't understand. I said, ma'am, I don't have to understand the flesh. She said, but your grandbaby cannot live. I said, honey, she can't die. I have the Word of God. Now, your confession is very, very important. But she said, sir... The pressure on her brain is 20. I said, I don't know what that means. I don't know if 20 is normal or high. She said, it's not high. It's critical. I said, well, I don't care. Don't make no difference to me. She said, her brain stem is severed. I said, that makes no difference to me. God made it. He can put it back together. Her eyes are jerked out of her brain. Her skull is crushed in five places. Her face hit the seat in front of her and crushed all the bones all around her eyes. And her face is twice its size. And her face is just cut and lacerated all to pieces. I said, I don't care. He said, her lungs are crushed. Her right knee is crushed and her left leg's broken in two places. It's impossible. Dr. Mark said it's impossible for her to live. 
I said, it's impossible for her to die. I got this book. I walked in that room and I looked at Caitlin. And when I looked down there, for a moment, the flesh wants to take over. You look down and see something you love, your little grandbaby. She's only three years old, and she's laying there with her body tore all to pieces, and her face is twice its size and is cut and lacerated and tore all to pieces. And you're going to stay cool? You better know the Word of God, let me tell you. You better know who your king is when you undergo something like this. But I knew who my king was. And I knew that this didn't bother him. I knew there was only one thing moved the hand of the king. And it was faith and obedience. He didn't care about nothing else. If I stayed in faith and obedience, he's the king of the universe. He's the one that I remember that whenever he made the earth, he came down to the earth and he took his hands and he formed some stuff. And he said, and Adam came out of that. We read that in the scripture. But we don't believe he can do that anymore. But he can't. He's still God. He's still the boss. And your faith and obedience will change everything. <clears throat> so as I looked at her, I quoted a scripture. And the scripture is John fifteen seven. Now, if you don't have your Bible, you need to bring it. If you got it, I want you to turn and see the scriptures. John fifteen seven. Jesus made you and I a promise. This is not just to me. This is to the body of Christ. Jesus said, but it comes with a requirement. If. That's the whole thing. It starts out with if. If my words remain in you and you remain in me, then you can ask me a few things. Oh. You can ask me for what? Whatever or anything. Now, you think God means that? Sure he does. Now, then it's up to you and me to believe that. If we believe that and we're attached as the children of God, if we're attached to the king of the universe and we know that nothing's impossible with him, and he's this great and mighty awesome God that we sing about while I go up here, that made the stars and the skies and the clouds and, and all the stuff that he's great and he's done all these things. If he can do all these things and he's our God and he made us this kind of promise, then it's up to you and me to make it happen. It's up to you and me to believe his promises. So I just looked at her and I said, Lord, you made me a promise in John fifteen seven, And you said in First Corinthians chapter 2, chapter Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that all of your promises are yes and amen every time to us, your believers that are in Christ. So I'm in you. So I said, I know you're going to do what I ask you to do. So I said, Father, I want you to raise her up. I want you to heal the little face. And I don't want a single bone out of place in her face. I want everything back in place perfect. I don't want a single scar on that little face. I want that face put back together perfect. Even better and more beautiful than it was before in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, I want everything from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet like brand new. And I want to thank you for doing it. Now, what do you say I could ask for? Anything? What do you think I'm going to ask for? You think I'm going to do like I've seen people? 
somebody walks in and here's their grandbaby or their own spouse or one of their loved ones sitting there tore up in a car wreck or they've just halfway drowned or whatever. And they walk in and say, oh, God, just let them live. Please, God, just let them live. You ever heard anybody say that? And if you get it, that's exactly what you get. A vegetable. I've seen it happen over and over in the church. But I was just as dumb as they were back in those days. I didn't know either. I hadn't spent the time with God. So since he's a faith God and no respecter of persons, if you don't know the truth and you don't know his answer and you don't stand on him, he's given us everything. But if we don't know how to stand on them, we don't get anything. Well, I'd learned by this time. I told him what I wanted. Because he told me I could ask him for anything, didn't he, brother? Is that what he said? John fifteen seven. All we got to do is believe God, right? Sure. So I told him what I wanted. And then I began to worship him and praise him. And then I walked over into the other room and there sat the other little girl, Kelly. She was like a granddaughter to me because she spent so much time in our home. I'd played dolls with her and everything else, you know. I mean, she was a precious, beautiful little six-year-old by this time. But my wife and daughter started keeping her when she was three weeks old. She'd been in her home many an hour. I'd played with her many an hour. I walked over there, and I looked at Kelly, six years old, and her head was ripped open right across here. Laid back, plumb back to right there. And that's all I could see visibly that was wrong with her. And the doctor came in, I said, what's wrong with her? He said, well, her head's ripped open. And he said, if she lives, she'll probably have brain damage. She probably won't never be the same. And he said, both of our pelvics for the seatbelt held were crushed. So he said, if she lives, and if she have, probably have a little brain damage, it'll be probably two and a half to three months minimum before she could even stand within a walker. Then she'll have to learn to walk all over again. I said, okay, thank you. I turned in this book to John 16, 23, and 24. I want you to turn over there and look at John 16, 23, and 24. I want you to see another promise the king made you. In John 16, 23, and 24, the king says, Before this day, or hitherto, hitherto this day, or before this day, have you asked me nothing. But from this day forth, you can ask me anything Ask the Father in my name anything, and he will do it for you. So therefore, ask anything in my name, and he will do it for you, so your joy will be full. Now, I might have misquoted a word or two, depending on the translation you read, but is that basically what he said in John 16, 23, and 24? Is that what he said? So what did he give you and me as his children? Did he say we could ask the Father in his name now that we're his children? Can we ask anything? Well, what do you think I'm going to ask for? I'm going to say, Father, in the name of Jesus... I have heard the diagnosis of the doctor, and he's going by what he saw. Praise God for good doctors. But I said, Lord, I am not believing the doctor's report. I'm believing your report. You said so few people believe your report. So I said, Father, in Jesus' name, according to those two scriptures, I ask you to do such a mighty miracle of restoration on Kelly that it will even shock the doctors. I want you to raise her up. I want you to heal her little head. And Lord, I don't want a brain cell that's out of place. I want every brain cell perfect. I don't want any brain damage. I want her to be sharper than she was before. And I'm asking you to fix that little head. And I'm asking you to fix those little pelvics. And I'm asking you to fix them in such a hurry that everybody here will have to know that only you could have done it. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. 
And they say, now, Thurman, you can't tell God what to do. You know God's sovereign. He'll do what he wants to do. I said, no, God told me what to do, and I'm telling him what I want. And I said, I guarantee he's going to give it to me because he made me the promise. And people said, you can't tell God what to do. I said, I'm not. He told me to tell him what I wanted. Is that what he said? Well, how dumb could I have been? I mean, here, I mean, if you tell me, if you walked in and say, here, I'll do this for you if you'll do so and so. And I said, no, 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 I don't believe you. Well, you might say, I can understand that I'm just a man. But God, I mean, God tells me that he'll do something. He's able to do anything, right? You might walk in and say, hey, I can climb that wall right there without a ladder. I mean, well, okay, you're going to have to show me that because I don't believe you can do that. But there may be some of you that can do it. I don't know. But if God, I know he can go up that wall without nothing. He can do anything. He can do anything. He really can because the scripture says that. Well, I mean, out of my boldness, if you want to call it that, some people thought I had lost it and I was crazy. I mean, I for the first couple of days or two or three days in the hospital, I was known as the grandfather in denial. It didn't make any of what we or the doctors tell him. He won't agree with none of us. He's just a grandfather in denial. Just pamper him, you know. Just, you know, he'll be okay later. But within one week, Kelly Ringstaff was out of ICU. And in one more week, she was out of the hospital walking with a walker. And whenever she came to the Baptist church, we were all a member of there in Justin, Texas, even the pastor from the pulpit said, we have seen God do a miracle. Kelly is already walking with a walker in two weeks. And they said it would be three months. I mean, hey. But whenever she had thrown those things away in the next couple of days, and by Wednesday she's back in school running and playing like nothing ever happened, Everybody knew God had showed up. Now, see, he didn't just say he would do that for Thurman. When you read those scriptures, it doesn't have Thurman's name in there. It says, for whoever will believe me, right? So, see, these promises is for you, just like they were for me. But now, see... Whenever I said, God will raise her up, I said, she'll be out of here in a week. Well, in a week, she wasn't out of there. She was out of ICU, but she was still in the hospital. Somebody said, well, where's your God now? I said, he's still on the throne, guarantee. And I said, he's going to do such a supernatural miracle. I said, you're going to see, he's going to blow your socks off with what he's going to do for me. And, of course, two and a half weeks later, total from the day it happened, when she's back in school running and playing, her doctor... In fact, her mother, she come busting in my house about the end of the third week, and she come running in, and I sat there at my desk, and she said, Thurman, I'm going to tell you, I used to come in, and you'd be talking to Betty about some of those miracles and things that happened, and I didn't believe those. I said, those things were too far out. I didn't believe them. I said, I know. I said, I could tell whenever I'd look over at you when I'd tell Betty, my wife at that time, about something, and you would roll your eyes like that, thinking, oh, another one of these wild stories from Thurman. Well, when you're a man of faith, 
and your people are not men of faith. I mean, they be in church. They don't believe these mighty things. I live in a whole new world. I live in a world where very few Christians have ever walked. But let me tell you, it's available to you. God's no respecter of persons, is he? He honors faith. And that's what he honors. And that's where we've missed it as a church. That's where I missed it the first 40 years of my life. But I started getting a hold of it after 40 years. And then I started seeing these principles. And I tried to teach it to people in my church. And they wouldn't believe me. And God saw they wouldn't believe me. So one day he thought, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll put my son to the test. I've trained him. He'll pass the test. And I will be glorified because he will stand strong in faith of my word. And it'll cost him his wife and his daughter. And he'll go through the greatest test with his granddaughter and Kelly. But he's going to come through. And I will be glorified out of this. And he was. And he still is being. And so as I was there when Miss Ringstaff come running in the house, she said, I did not believe these miracles. The things you told Betty, I said, these kids cannot be true. These healings and miracles and answers to prayer you say you get all the time. I thought you were just making up these stories. Well, she said, I just come back from the doctor's office. And said, the doctor said, Miss Ringstraff, I've been a doctor a long time. And I've seen a lot of children in car wrecks with broken, crushed pelvics because of seatbelts. But I have never seen one walk short of two and a half months with a walker with crushed pelvics. But she said, when yours was out of ICU in a week and walking with a walker in two weeks, and now then at two and a half weeks is running and playing like nothing ever happened, and her pelvics are perfect, he said, I only have one explanation for you. And for some reason, God showed up for you and that little girl. See, even the doctors recognize that only. In fact, Ty, he's a doctor also, and he knows. I mean... He knows that God showed up there. There's no other explanation, is there, Ty? I mean, he's a doctor. He knows. But after we saw this mighty miracle, about three months later, I was at a birthday party where Kelly was. And I walked in and I said, Kelly, how are you doing, honey? She's a little eight-year-old girl, six-year-old girl at that time. I said, oh, Mr. Thurman, she said, I'm doing great. But she said, I hate these scars on my head. She pulled her little bangs up, and I looked at two big old giant scars across there. She said, I hate these scars. I said, oh, I didn't realize your head healed with those scars. I said, but you don't like those. I don't like those, and Jesus don't like those. But I said, he can't take them off until somebody prays a prayer of faith for you. I said, now, Jesus made you and me a promise in John 14, 13, and 14. I want you to see this promise. John 14, 13, and 14. See, this is where you've got to know these promises. And then you've got to believe them and act on them. I mean, you can read the Bible all your life, and if you never act on it, you ain't never going to see God do nothing. You've got to act on His Word. Your confession has to be right. But John 14, 13 and 14, Jesus again made a back-to-back statement there. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it for you. Did he not? Well, if Jesus makes us these awesome promises, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it for you. Do you think he meant that? Huh? 
I mean, if he really did, then why don't more of us in the church use these promises? I don't know. I don't know why I didn't. I guess I just didn't believe them. But I took that promise right there and I said, now Jesus said, we can ask for anything. So I said, Father, on behalf of John 14, 13 and 14, I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to remove those two scars on Kelly's head. Do you think God can take off a scar? Well, then what's the big deal? Just say, ask, Father, in Jesus' name. What, what did he say? How do we have to ask? Ask the Father in his name. And he said, I will do it for you. So I said, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to take those big old scars off of Kelly's forehead. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. You said it. <laughs> no questions asked. I said, now, Kelly, you've got to believe. She said, I believe. I believe. I said, okay. I said, all you need to do, honey, is start praising, worshiping God that those scars are gone. So next morning, she jumps up. She runs in there, jumps up on her little stool, looks in the mirror and says, look, mama, just what I thought. They're not as bad this morning as they were yesterday. You hear any faith in that? They're not as bad this morning as they were yesterday. She says, doesn't Mr. Thurman do good work? She says, honey, it's not Mr. Thurman. It's Jesus is the one doing that. She said, oh, mama, I know that. But Mr. Thurman knows how to get Jesus to do good things. <laughs> now, see, that's an awesome way to be known by a little six-year-old girl. You know, but that's the way she knew me. When I prayed, I expected it, and it happened. And now then, of course, 30 days later, I'm sitting in church one morning out there. It's been nearly five years, four and a half years ago. I was sitting in church out there and before church started and uh, she brought her in. She sat down beside me and she said, Thurman, I want you to look. And she reached over and grabbed her brains and picked them up. And guess what? The scars are gone. Has a beautiful little forehead. Now, what can God do? Whatever you can believe him for. What is God's limitations? You. You. You are God's limitations. If you have no limitations in your faith walk, he has no limitations. But if you don't believe he can do what he said he will do, then you limit God's power. You limit it. You know, if I'd only known these things a long time ago. As I taught these things one day up in Baltimore, a lady jumped up at the, we had a long teaching that day, all day. And at about a two or three hour intermission, a lady jumped up out here and she said, where have you been all of my life? I should have known you 20 years ago. I said, honey, it wouldn't have made you, if you'd have known me 20 years ago, I couldn't have done you any good. I said, I didn't know these things either 20 years ago. But I'm learning them now and I'm getting a hold of them and I'm seeing them work. So we got Kelly healed and now they're in her scars off and everything. But now we come back to my grandbaby. The first day I stood beside that bed and sang and worshipped and praised the king for 16 hours without sitting down. A lady come up, that social worker, she come up and she said, sir, about four, five or six hours into this, she walked up and she said, sir, I will never forget you or this day as long as I live. I said, why is that? She said, I've never seen a man that's lost his wife and daughter. And walks into a hospital and he's told by the doctors that his grandbaby cannot live under no circumstances. And he walks beside the bed and prays and worships and prays God 
without a tear in his eye. I said, ma'am, I have to have no tears because I know my God and I know what he's going to do. I don't have to cry. I'm rejoicing. I'm praising the king for his promises. She said, but sir, this little girl can't live. I said, oh, yeah, she can't die. I guarantee you because I got the word of God and the king is on my side. See, we don't understand this. So anyway, finally that night, after being there all night till about 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, I thought I got to go home because I got a Bible study class to teach tomorrow, tomorrow Sunday. So I went home, slept a few hours, got up, first one at church Sunday morning. People started walking in, and first couple walked in and said, Thurman, what are you doing here? I said, well, where do you think I'm going to be? I'm in my father's house. And I said, I'm here to teach my Sunday school class today. Well, we heard yesterday that Betty and Amanda died in a car wreck. I said, you heard right. They did. They're at home this morning in heaven. But we heard Caitlin and Kelly was in critical condition, and we heard Caitlin could not live. She's going to die too. I said, you heard wrong. I said, Caitlin and Kelly's great. They're both going to run and play. They're doing fine. But we heard. I said, I don't care what you heard. You heard the wrong report. Now, see, my confession is positive. Not one single doubt in my heart that my king, our king, is going to do what he promised to do. Not one. I teach my Sunday school class. I go to the worship service. I sit out there and listen to the Baptist preacher preach for 30 minutes. And I listen to the worship and praise. And then after church is over at noon, I drive back down real slow, you know, speed limit, right down to Cook's Medical Center. Go up there and walk up her and walk in and start walking up and down beside her bed, praising the king, quoting all these promises and thanking him for healing her and raising her up. And everybody thinks, this guy is in denial. Don't he know this little girl's going to die? No, she's not going to die. Not unless I say she's going to die. Now, if I step into doubt, she's going to die. But if I stay in faith, she can't die because God made me promises in his word. He made me promises. Did he say I had to have no doubt in my heart? He said, if you doubt and don't believe I can do what I'll do, he said, you need not think I'll do anything. And brother, if there's ever a time I needed God, it's right here. You know that? Without him, I'm in big trouble. Somebody said, didn't you get mad at God? I said, absolutely not. If I ever needed him, this is the time I worshiped and praised him the most I ever worshiped and praised him. I need the king. I mean, I've come, I've undergone a, a trial and test from the devil and the devil has killed my wife, he's killed my daughter, and he tried to kill my grandbaby and Kelly. And I said, if I ever needed the king, I need him now. I'm certainly not going to get mad at the only one that can help me. That's for sure. And so I continued to worship and praise. And as I worshiped and praised and everything, second night, a couple, I walked outside of a room. I walked out there, and I'm standing there, and two doctors walk up to this couple. Two couples. Older couple and a younger couple. And they said, we're sorry, sir, but your baby is 95% brain dead, and there's nothing we can do. By morning, the child will be gone. So you need to prepare for a funeral. And the doctors walked off. And I walked up and I said, sir, to the older gentleman, which was about 45, I guess. I walked up to him and I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, where do you go to church? He said, well, he lives somewhere way up here in the northeast, north somewhere up here, up above here even. And uh, he said, I don't go very often. He said, I'm a member of a Baptist church up there, but said, 
Uh, I hardly ever go because I'm an over-the-road truck driver, and I just don't hardly go to church. And I said, what a shame. I said, you don't know the promises of God, so the devil is going to kill your grandbaby. I looked at his wife. I said, are you a Christian? She said, well, yeah. But I said, you go to church? She said, no, my husband's never at home, so I don't go either. I said, what a shame. You all say you're Christians. You've allowed the devil to totally deceive you. I turned and looked at the young couple, and I said, young woman, are you a Christian? She said, well, yeah, but I don't go either. Looked at the young man. I said, how about you, son? He was about 20 years old. The girl's about 19. He said, I believe in God. I said, son, everybody believes in God. But I said, you've got to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I said, you don't know him, do you? He said, no. So the next 20 minutes I spent leading the young man to Christ. As I got him saved, I said, now then that I've got you born again and saved, I said, where is your baby? He said, in there in ICU. I said, would you take, him, take me in there to where the child is? He said, yes. So we went in there and I looked and here's a little two-month-old baby, totally lifeless. Got tubes plugged all in him and he's not moving a muscle. The doctor said out there, if I heard right, he's 95% brain dead. He said, that's what they said. They said he'd be dead by morning. They said, that's what they said. I said, do you want your baby to live? He said, well, of course. I said, you're never going to be in better shape for a miracle than you are right now. I said, because you've just been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And he's been redeemed, right? And every sin he's ever committed is under the blood. He ain't never going to be in any better shape when it comes to all sins confessed. I said, so will you give me the spiritual authority over your child for just a moment? Who is the spiritual authority over a child in the home? The father. God holds you accountable for those children. The men, not the woman, the man. And I, he said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I said, would you just say yes? So he said, okay, yes. I said, Jesus said, now see, this is where you get in trouble when you start quoting the word of God. I said, Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 18, to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Did the king say that? See, I said, I believe him. So I reached over on a little naked tummy, little tiny tummy. And I touched it with those two little fingers. I couldn't lay hands on it because it wasn't that big. But I laid them two fingers on that tummy. And I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Lord. Turned to the young man, young woman. said, I guarantee your baby will recover. No problem. Now, how many of you have that kind of faith in our God? I used to not. But see, I'm beginning to get to where I believe him. Well, I walked out of there praising the king. I said, all y'all need to do is thank God. I said, your child will be well. He's well. Well, I stayed with Caitlin until about three. And then I went home and got a few hours sleep. And the next morning, about nine or ten o'clock, I was walking back in the hospital. I think it was about nine when I got back. <clears throat> I walked in and this young lady said, Mr. Scribner, will you come over here? I know you had not been to Caitlin's room yet, but would you come over here and look at my son? I said, what's wrong with him? She said, Nothing. And I go over there, and she says, look what God has done. I went over, here's this little guy. He ain't got a tube in him nowhere, and he's kicking and squirming like he's normal. I said, wow, God's wonderful, isn't he? 
And she said, yes, this morning when they came in to check him, he had already pulled the tubes out of himself. (laughs) Two months old. And so they're, he's, the man said, they're fixing to move us up into a recovery room for one more day. And they're going to keep in and observe him one more day. And if he keeps doing like this, we're going home tomorrow. Said so that's what the doctor, they don't understand what happened last night. Let me tell you, nobody understands what happens when Jesus shows up. But faith brings the king on the scene. Well, so we go through that day and the next day, I'm come in and all of a sudden, here they are. The grandfathers went out and bought a little red wagon, put a pillow in it, he got that baby on it and he's pulling up down the aisle always in Cook's Medical Center, praising God. All of a sudden, God's a whole lot more real to this Baptist couple. You know it? They've seen him do a miracle on a baby that's impossible to be healed. 95% brain dead, but the king recovered him overnight. I mean, Jesus is awesome. If we would just get a hold of what Jesus could do. That's all we got to do is do something in faith. And the king shows up. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He done miracles 2,000 years ago. He wants to do them today. But it takes faith to make it happen. He's a lovely God, wonderful God, and he's our God. And so anyway, all of a sudden they're getting ready to go home that afternoon and they're out there in ICU and they got the little baby in the two month old little fella in that wagon and granddaddy's so proud of this little guy and everything. And all of a sudden a girl comes in and she's screaming and crying. And the boy said, ma'am, what's wrong with you? She said, my little six year old boy just got shot in the park in Dallas and they've just called me and told me they've just brought him here and said he's not expected to live. He said, you see this man right here? You need to have him pray for you. They told me yesterday mine was going to die. And he went in and prayed for him, or night before last. And he went in and prayed for him, and we're going home today. She says, will you pray for my son? I said, I certainly will. But I said, before I pray for you, there's something i got to know about you. Now, you know, here's something... Proverbs 26.2 makes you a statement. Proverbs 26.2. I want you to read it and then see if you understand what it says. Proverbs 26.2. It makes a statement. And it talks about the flying, the swallow and all the birds and all the stuff. And then it says, like all of this, a curse undeserved shall not come to light. In other words, no curse comes upon you undeserved. What does that mean? That means if you're walking in obedience to God's word, a curse like this cannot happen to you. There's something that opens the door to the devil every time. And we don't know what those are so much of the time. But I looked at her and I said, so you got a son that's six years old who's been shot in the park in Dallas and he's not expected to live. She said, that's true. I said, no curse comes upon you undeserved. We've got to find out why. I said, young woman, I said, I see you're pregnant. She said, what's that got to do with praying about my son? I said, maybe nothing and maybe everything. I said, are you married? No. I said, okay. Well, this child in your womb conceived in wedlock or out of wedlock? She said, well, out. I'm living with a boy. 
I said, there's your problem. That's why your son's laying in there in ICU with a bullet in his back. Because of your disobedience to the Word of God. I said, God told you. I said, are you a Christian? She said, oh, yes. I said, as a Christian, you're a disobedient Christian. And you've opened the door wide open to the devil. And the devil is going to kill your baby. I said, there ain't a thing in the world I can do for you. Ain't nobody in the world get that baby healed. You can pray every way you want to until you repent of that sin and make God a promise. You'll move out and never let that boy touch you again. If you don't do that, there's no way I can get you healed. And ain't nobody else can get that boy healed. He will die. She said, I didn't realize it was this important. I said, your lack of knowledge of the Word of God. I said, now then you want the boy to live or die? She said, well, I want him to live. I said, then you only got one choice. And that's to tell God right here, right in front of everybody, Lord, I'm sorry. I have sinned. I will repent. I will move out and I'll not let that boy touch me again. I said, if you're willing to make God that promise and mean it, I said, then I'll pray for your son. So she poured her heart out. God, I'm sorry. Lord, I didn't know how important it was. I was just doing what I shouldn't have been doing. I knew I shouldn't have been. But Lord, forgive me. Will God forgive you? Oh, praise God. I said, thank you, Jesus. I said, now then, 1 John 1, 9 kicks in. You repented. You asked God to forgive you. And he's just restored you to righteousness. What an awesome God we serve. I said, now, where's your son? Now I can pray for your son. Now I can pray in faith for your son. She took me in there, and there's a little boy laying there, six years old. He's lifeless. I looked at him. I looked at the nurse sitting at the foot of the bed. I said, ma'am, what do you think about this boy? Is he going to live or going to die? She said, sir, I'm not allowed to tell you anything. I said, I'm going to pray for this boy. And if you're not allowed to tell me anything, then I want you to shake your head when I ask you this question. Do you believe he's going to live? Yes or no? That means no. Everybody knows what that means, right? She was a nurse. No, he ain't going to live. But she couldn't tell me that. She couldn't say that. But in her own heart, she knew from the circumstances he was not going to live. I walked up to the head of his bed. I laid my hands on the sides of his head. And I said, you devil of hell, the curse has been broken. The mother has repented of her sins. I said, you now have no more legal claim to this boy. In the name of Jesus, according to Mark 16, 17, and 18, I cast you out, and I command your body to be healed in the name of Jesus, according to the Word of God. I turned, I said, young lady, I guarantee your son will now live and not die. Because Jesus made you a promise. A couple days later, I was in Caitlin's room, sitting there, and that same nurse walked in, and she says, sir... I don't know what it is about your prayers in this place. But she said, I knew that little boy was going to die. I knew he was going to die. There was not a chance he was going to live through the night. But she said, 30 minutes after you left, he was out of danger. An hour later, he was so stable, I couldn't believe what I saw. And she said, the next morning, he was so good... They moved him to the recovery room upstairs and took him out of ICU. She said, in another week, he'll be at home. And that boy completely, fully recovered and did go home. Well, after that happened, the next night, a man came in and got me and said, Sir, there's another woman out here got a four-year-old boy. It's going to die tonight, they say. And I want to know, will you come out and talk to her? 
Mine in Jesus' name became very well known at Cook's Medical Center in the first week I was in there. I'm serious. People were coming from everywhere. Now, this is the way they ought to be coming to you. We ought to be sons of God walking in this place. God's no respecter of persons. We, as the body of Christ, need to learn to have this kind of faith, to walk in obedience to His Word and see our King do these great and mighty things so everybody will know that the King lives. When He does those kind of miracles, even the unbelievers can't deny that He's alive. So anyway, I went out there and I sat down with this little lady. And she was crying and her mother was crying. I asked them, are you all Christians? Oh yeah, we're Christians. But see, they hadn't studied the Word. They didn't know the promises of God. Well, they were going by what they saw and heard. And so I'm talking to them about Jesus and how he's the healer and all these things. And all of a sudden, a gentleman walks in with a suit and tie on and sits down right across in front of us. He listens for about a minute. And he says, sir, I need to talk to you outside. I said, okay. I thought he was with the family. So I got up and went outside. And we went outside the ICU waiting room door and he closed the door. He said, you can't do what you're doing in that room. I said, sir, all I'm doing in there is talking to that lady about her son and about how I'd get him healed. He said, I know, I heard you, but you cannot do that in this hospital. I said, who are you? He said, I'm one of the chaplains. I said, well, if you're one of the chaplains, let's you and me go back in and pray for that baby and get that baby healed. He said, you go back in there and I will call two armed guards to have you removed from this hospital. I said, now look, sir, you can't be serious. He said, I'm very serious. And he called on his radio and they sent two young armed guards up to remove me from the hospital. When they got there, I said, on what grounds are you boys going to remove me? They said, he says you're creating a disturbance. I said, you ask anybody in this hospital, I am creating no disturbance. All I'm doing is praying for the sick. And so nobody else would agree with him. No, he's not creating a disturbance. He hadn't done anything wrong. So I asked them two boys. I said, are you boys Christians? Oh, yeah. I said, well, then I'm a man of God, too. So I said, we're supposed to be on the same side. And so they left. They realized I was not creating a disturbance. I was not doing anything irrational. And they left. Well, the next morning, a young lady asked me to come up to pray for her son upstairs, a seven-year-old upstairs. And I told her, I said, is it critical? And she said, well, no, not critical. I said, well, I'm fixing to go to Louisville to meet with a pastor over there, and I'd rather do it in the morning when I come back, if that's okay, if he's not critical. Oh, she said, he's not critical. I said, okay. So anyway, the next morning... When I walked in the hospital, first thing, about 9 o'clock, I went straight up to the fourth floor where she had told me the room was. And I went in there. And when I went in the room, and I'm talking to her, I look and I see a, a, a precious little guy there, laying there that's seven years old. And I said, what's wrong, son? He says, I have nightmares at night. That someone's trying to kill me. I said, oh, son, it's just the devil. I said, we have all power over the devil. He said, but I have these nightmares and they scare me. I mean, somebody's coming to kill me in my room. I said, no problem. It's just the devil. No problem. I said, he's in this hospital all over. I'm already finding out. (laughs) 
So I stood beside the bed and I said, Satan, I said, I come to the throne of grace, Father. And I said, I want to praise you and thank you. You sent your son 2,000 years ago to defeat the devil and to give me all power over the beast. I said, now, Satan, I command you to withdraw your demons and your wicked spirits that you're sending to this room to torment this precious little seven-year-old Christian boy. He tells me he knows Jesus as Lord and Savior, but he ain't old enough to know he has power over you. So in the name of Jesus, I am demanding that you get your filthy hands out of this room and you go and you leave him alone. I said, now, Father, I'm asking you to send two warring angels to sit on each side of him. And you angels, I said, angels, you will keep the demons out of this room. And you got to remember, the Word of God says, I'm going to judge angels one day, so you boys better do a good job. I said, now, keep them devils away from this boy. He's a son of God. And you ministering spirits are ministering spirits sent to minister for those of us that will inherit salvation. And we have both received salvation. So your boy's job is to take care of us. So I said, you boys take care of this boy for me. And you don't let a single demon come in here and torment him no more. He will not have another nightmare. I said, that's it, son. You're going to be okay. And about that time, old guy walked in. And he said, I need to talk to you outside. I said, ma'am. I said, do you know who this guy is? She said, no, i never seen him before in my life. I said, okay, sir, you go outside, and when I get through in here at this mother's request, then I'll come out and talk to you. But I don't know who you are. So I finished praying for the little boy and guaranteed him he'd never have another nightmare. And he didn't. His grandmother saw me a week later, and she grabbed me. I mean, I'm sitting downstairs at the cafeteria one noon, I think it was about noon, having a little bite to eat or whatever. And this grandmother comes running over there, and she said, You're Thurman Scrivener? I said, Yes. She reaches over, grabs me, knocks my food over, squeezes me, picks me up. And I think, What's this woman fixing to do to me? You know? And she said, I want to tell you how much I love you. I said, Damn, I don't even know who you are. And she said, I'm so-and-so's grandmother. And I said, oh, the little boy I prayed for upstairs? He said, yes, he's not had another nightmare, and he's recovering so good. that I just want to thank you for that prayer. I thought, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But anyway, when I got through that, I walked outside, and here's another guy standing there with a suit and tie on, and he's got another guy with him with a uniform on with a gun on. I said, and who might you be? He said, I'm the head chaplain at Cook's Medical Center. The head chaplain. I said, well, what do you want with me? He said, I want you to go upstairs to my office. I want to talk to you. I said, did you have to bring a guy with a gun on? And he said, well, I just want to make sure you go with me. The devil's always afraid of God's children. So always brings a little backup power. So I said, I'll go with you. No problem. We go upstairs. We walk in his office. He closes the door and locks it. I said, and what do you want from me? He said, he turned to me and he put his finger right in my face. He said, you pray for another child in this hospital. I will file a warrant for your arrest and I'll have you removed from Cook's Medical Center and you'll never be allowed back in this place as long as you live. I said, and you're supposed to be the head chaplain? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, what's your God's name? He said, Jehovah. I said, is his son's name Jesus? He said, that's none of your business. I said, now I know what I'm dealing with. I said, the same demons of hell that were in the Pharisees and Sadducees 2,000 years ago were in you guys in this hospital. 
I said, give me your business card. And I want the name and the badge number of this officer. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I know the king of kings, and I'm going to take you boys to the throne of grace, and I'm going to kick these devils out of you. That's what I'm going to do. I started to leave. I got up to leave, and he said, you pray for another child in this hospital, and I'll show you what I'll do. I said, you don't intimidate me in the least because I serve the king of kings, and he defeated your God 2,000 years ago, so I have no fear. I walked down, went down to the second floor where ICU is, and I'm walking down there, and a woman come and met me right in the middle of the hallway. She said, sir, are you Thurman Scrivener? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, would you come to the room and pray for my baby? I said, no, ma'am. I won't come to the room. I want to stand right here in the hall with you and my hands raised where every one of them cameras can see me. I want to praise the king, and I'm going to pray. You have no idea how many of you are on candid camera. You know that? Did you know you can even go to the Internet today and pull up many sites, and you can see live cameras all over the world? Do you know you can go right here and a computer right here and there's certain websites you can go to and you can pull up live cameras. You can see intersections. You can see hospitals. You can see stuff in states all over the United States of America and Canada from your computer. Nobody knows how many places you're on camera. But everything is on camera today. But they're nothing compared to the king's cameras. He's got the best. And his are live So anyway, I know that, and I know how good he is. And so I prayed for that baby that day, and then I went to the king. I said, Lord, this is your battle. It's not mine. I said, I don't know what you're going to raise up against this bunch down here, but Lord, you put me in here. You're the one put me to this test, and I'm going to pass every one of these tests, and I'm not going to let nobody intimidate me. I am not afraid of nobody because I serve you. I said, now, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do to make this happen or what you're going to do to change this, but I know you're going to do it, and I'm laying it in your hands because you're my boss. And I know you're big enough to take care of it. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. Monday morning, I went back to work. And a man called me. He said, Thurman, I've been trying to get a hold of you for a week. I said, well, I hadn't been around for a couple of weeks. I said, I've had one of the greatest traumas of my life. I said, I'm over at Cook's Medical Center fighting the battle to win the life of my granddaughter. And he said, wow. He said, you're in Cook's Medical Center? He said, man, if you have any problems, Cook's Medical Center, let me know. He said, the CEO of that hospital is in my Sunday school class. Things are happening? She said, yes, sir. Virtually every baby that our doctors have said cannot live, when he went in and prayed for them, every one of them have supernaturally got well anywhere from a matter of a few hours to a couple of days. She said, we do not understand what's going on in this hospital. He said, take a letter. And he dictated a letter to her and said, take it and give it to him personally. And so she brought the letter to Caitlin's room and she says, sir, can I see you outside? I said, yes, ma'am, you may. So I went outside with her and she said, I don't know who you know, but you must really know somebody. I said, yes, ma'am, I do know somebody and his name is Jesus. You can't get anybody greater than that, can you? I said, what happened? She said, Mr. Tolman, which is a CEO of this hospital, called and dictated a letter to me and told me to give it to you personally. And she handed me a letter, and the letter says, 
that he authorizes me to pray for any child in Cook's Medical Center that the parents give me the authority to pray for, and nobody can stop me. And I thought, thank you, Jesus. So I have authorization from the CEO of Cook's Medical Center to pray for any child I want to pray for in Cook's Medical Center. So we go on from here. We're still fighting the fight for Caitlin. And now then, in that second week... The Monday morning of the second week, Dr. Marks comes in and he says, uh, i got to have a meeting with the family. He said, uh, i just done another MRI of Caitlin. And he said, I do not know how she's lived this past week. He said, uh, the second MRI still shows there's absolutely nothing attached to her brain. Nothing. I said, Nothing? I said, the brain stem is completely severed. He said, completely. I said, how about her eyes? He said, well, the eyeballs themselves appear to be okay. But he said, the cords that come from the eyes to the brain are jerked out of the brain. He said, I said, how did all that happen? He said, well, the impact of the car when it hit head on, obviously her brain came forward into the skull and severed the stem and then when the car bounced back, the brain went backwards, and when it did, it jerked everything on the front side off. So he said, there's nothing attached to the brain. So he said, there's nothing to tell her to breathe, to cough, to move, to see, nothing. He said, the only way she could possibly be living this week is because we have these breathing tubes in her, and that really, said she's technically dead. So he said, we'll go ahead and unplug her, and said, she'll stop breathing, and she'll decease, and you don't want to restore her. Now, what are you going to say? What is your confession going to be? How strong is your faith? How do you, what do you believe God can do? I said, oh, sir, when you unplug her, she's not going to die. He said, sir, she can't live. I said, there's not one chance she'll die. Not one. He said, sir, it's impossible for her to live. I said, no, Luke 137 says with God, nothing is impossible. Is that what he says? Sure. Our God, do you believe with God nothing's impossible? Well, it depends on where your confession is. So anyway, he said, well, I hope you're right. I said, well, see, sir, there's another reason you're wrong. Everybody has hope, but until you go from hope to faith, nothing works. You can hope, but until you step over into the world of faith. And I said, I've stepped over into a new world. It's called faith, the word of God. I said, I believe what my king said. And so said, I guarantee you that you're going to see my Jesus do the greatest work you've ever seen. I said, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Jew. I said, good. Jesus was a Jew. And he was the best doctor in the universe. I said, you as a Jew are going to get to see another Jewish doctor do the best work you have ever seen in your life. I guarantee it. And he just looked at me and think. He said, well, we're going to unplug her this week and we'll see. I mean, you know, that's where they live. So he got up and walked out. Thursday morning, Dr. Davis, precious, beautiful Christian lady, she walked in and she said, Mr. Scrivener, you're the only human being I ever met in my life that refuses to accept reality. I said, ma'am, you have trained yourself with your five physical senses. You go by all of your five physical senses. But I said, you can't live there as a Christian. 
You need to live in the world of faith. I said, in the world of faith, nothing is impossible. I said, she said, you know when we unplug her, she's going to die. I said, no, ma'am, let me read this scripture to you one more time. And so all the doctors and nurses and everybody began to come in. And I turned over to John 15, 7. I said, now I'm going to read this out loud to you all one more time. Jesus told me clearly here in John 15, 7, that I could ask him for anything and he would do it. Did he? If my words remain in you and you remain in me, you can ask me for anything and it shall be done for you. But you can't doubt. You got to believe with no doubt in your heart. I said, there's not one chance that when y'all unplug her, she's going to die. In fact, I said, let me make you a statement. Now, see, I know Mark 11:23 extremely well, where it says, I can have what I say if I believe with my heart. I said, I'm going to guarantee y'all in the name of Jesus, when you unplug her, she's not only going to breathe. She's going to breathe over the machine on her own, and she's going to cough. I said, sir, that's impossible. I said, not with faith, it's not. So they thought, okay, another grandfather in denial. Let's just, ain't nothing we can do. So they just hung their heads and went over and started unplugging the stuff. And you know what every one of them expected to happen? To die. But guess what? They unplugged her and pulled everything out of her, totally, everything, and all of a sudden, the breathing machine that was recording how strong she was breathing, instead of going down to zero like they expected, it went up two points. She's breathing two points stronger on her own, and they're sitting there looking at this and looking at this, and, and then all of a sudden she says, <sighs> coughed a little. Did she cough? She can't do that. Hey, we just saw her cough. An hour later, they're all sitting there. Nobody has moved. They're sitting there watching her. And every time she breathes, two points over. And then every time she had coughed, they said, she can't do that. That's impossible. After an hour, I said, I'm going to tell you all why you never see God do nothing. You have seen him do it. And you still don't believe. You have seen the king restore her brainstem. You've seen him make her breathe two points over the machine, just like I said she would do. And you've seen her cough, just like I said she would do. And you've seen it for an hour, and you're still sitting there with a negative confession. Every time she does something, you're saying she can't do it. Now, that's where we live, folks. I hate to say it, but that's where we live. So they didn't understand, but they left. Well... By this time, the little face, it's been almost two weeks. The little face is rapidly getting well. The little face is going down in size. And I told the Lord, I said, now, Lord, I don't want a scar. I don't want a scab because where a scab appears, a scar appears. I don't want no scabs. I want her little faces or cuts to grow back together, and I want them to be perfect without a scar. Somebody says, you're asking too much. No, no. I'm serving the king of the universe. That's all of us are supposed to be serving him, right? He's supposed to be our God. And if we believe he can do anything like he says he can, then we need to start thinking like God instead of like man. And that's where I started believing him. And so sure enough, within two weeks, two total weeks time, in fact, the lady, Selena Hurley, 
She sat with Caitlin the day of the funeral, the first Wednesday. We buried my wife and daughter that day, and Selena sat with her in the hospital. And she saw her tore all to pieces, her face so big and all in cuts and lacerations. And two weeks later, on Monday morning, Monday afternoon rather, she came back. And Sunday evening when I left, there was one little red deal under her eye. And the rest of it was beautiful. Not a mark, not a scab, not a cut. And I said, Lord, when I come in tomorrow, I don't even want that little red deal around her eyes. I want it perfect, beautiful by tomorrow. I said, Lord, and thank you. You said I can ask anything and you'll do it. So I want to thank you that you're my God and my Lord. And so I left. And the next day I came back and looked down and that little face was as beautiful there wasn't a mark, a red mark, or nothing. Not a scab, not a scar. But Selena Hurley, although she was a deacon's wife, and he had been chairman of the deacons and everything else, and she loves God with all her heart, but we don't see God do many miracles in the Baptist church. It's unfortunate. But she walked in that Sunday, that Monday afternoon. Of course, her husband had never been there. And he walked in and he looked down and saw her. And, of course, she's just a normal little girl laying there asleep. She looks perfectly normal. She's just little three-year-old Caitlin, except she's not moving. And so he sits and talks for me for 30, 40 minutes. And, and he looks at his watch and he says, oh, my goodness gracious. He said, uh, uh, I, I've got to go. Uh, he said, uh, they're going to close this place up in about 10 or 15 minutes. And if I don't get out there and let my wife come in to see her, I mean, he said, I'm, I might not get any supper for a month. Said she wants to see her. And so he walks out and Selena walks in. Now, a week and a half before she was there and saw this little girl laying there tore all to pieces. And she walks in right now and sees this little girl. And it's only five minutes till time to close ICU. And she walks in and she looks down. And that big, tall, beautiful woman looks down and sees that little girl. And she throws her hands up right there in ICU and says, God, you've done a miracle. And she lost it. And when she started crying and worshiping and praising God, I don't think I'd shed a tear to this point. But at that, I lost it with her. Me and her worshiped and praised God for 45 minutes. And I'm telling you, while we was there with our hands raised, walking around praising God for what he was doing, there was not a nurse in that place that come tell us that I see you'd close 40 minutes ago. I mean, none of them come in. They knew we was worshiping and praising the king. But that's the first time I had really just broke into it because I knew I watched this whole thing happen. Well, we took Caitlin uh, home after 30 days in ICU. We come out of ICU and the doctor said, I don't know how she's lived. He said, take her. Here's a wheelchair to take her. I said, I ain't never going to set her in a wheelchair. He said, she'll never walk. I said, of course, she'll not only walk, she'll run and play. Your confession is so important. I took her home. He said, we'll build her a motorized wheelchair. I said, don't waste your money. She'll never ride in a motorized wheelchair. He said, you're the most impossible man I ever saw. (laughs) We left there. I carried her out of there. I took that little body home that couldn't set up or do nothing. And I took that little body home and took it and laid it in the bed. And I would set that little body up in that chair, in that bed, and I said, in the name of Jesus, I command this little body to be strong and perfect in Jesus' name. What did the king say we could ask for in his name? Anything. 
And I would turn her loose and she would fall back down into bed. I'd pick her up and I'd done that over and over and over and over and over until she could sit up. When she got to where she could sit up, I took that little body out and I stood it beside the bed. I commanded those legs to be strong and to be able to stand and support her body in the name of our King Jesus. And I'd turn her loose. She'd just fall down on the floor. I'd pick her back up and I'd hold her and I'd say, in the name of Jesus, I command them legs to be strong. And I did that over and over and over and over until she could stand up. And then I commanded her to walk. And within a matter of days, each time, I, she was sitting, she's standing, she's walking. Now then, she's walking around. And finally, after a few weeks, some of the therapists from Cook's Medical Center came up and said, I've come up to give Caitlin some therapy. I said, okay. Brought her in there, and, and Caitlin's sitting on the couch. And she said, I'm looking for a little girl that had a brain stem severed. I said, that's her. This little girl said, uh, no, sir, uh, you don't understand. When they have a brain stem severed, they don't set up on a couch. I said, but when Jesus puts it back together, they can. She said, you mean she can sit there on that couch, erect like that by herself? I said, oh, yeah, she can walk, too. She said, no, she can't. I said, Caitlin, honey, come over here. So she slides off the couch and comes running over there to me. And I said, you see what the name of Jesus can do, young lady? I mean, this girl was blown away. The next day she said, I got some of my nurses I want to bring with me. Can we come back tomorrow? I said, sure. And they came back tomorrow and they all looked at her and played with her. They couldn't believe this. I said, honey, this is what the power of God's word does when you take it and use it by faith. Well, we go through this little scenario, but she's still blind. Now, I pray over those eyes, and I pray over those eyes, and I pray over those eyes. And come January the 6th, she's still totally blind. We had just built a brand new Baptist church in Justin, Texas. We don't have a pastor. The guy that had been the pastor, he left, went somewhere else. So we have no pastor. Uh, we got an interim pastor from the seminary who comes up and preaches now. But I told him that day, I said, you know, we opened this brand new sanctuary today. It's time we see the best miracle that God's ever going to do in this place. And this afternoon at 2 o'clock, I said, now 400 people are that day. And I said, I want every man and woman of faith that believes beyond a shadow of a doubt that God can and will open the eyes of my granddaughter. I want them to come this afternoon at 2 o'clock to pray with us. I said, now if you don't believe he's going to do it, don't show up. Because I don't want no unbelief here today. 30 of the 400 came. And that ain't bad in a Baptist church. I mean, I was impressed. But I'm a man of clear. I don't tell you everybody to come because I don't want the unbelievers there. Jesus put the unbelievers out. I only want believers there. Believing believers. So 30 of them came. And I brought about 10 of my own friends. And we met and we got in a circle there. And little Caitlin walked in that circle for two hours. Blind eyes jerked out of her brain. And we prayed for two hours, and the only thing we prayed for was quoted God's promises and asked Him according to His Word to put her little eyes back together, and we thanked Him and praised Him for doing it. We went home, she still couldn't see a thing. But after two hours, we went home. I played with her every day and worshipped and praised God for her eyes being back. 
My son walked up and looked at the bottom of the stairs one day. She was down at the bottom of the stairs. She had slid down the stairs playing. He said, Eddie, I can't imagine going through life blind. I said, she ain't going to be blind. I said, she's going to see again. I guarantee it. We serve an awesome God. Well, three weeks later, total, from the, that's January the 6th of 2002, she and I was upstairs playing with those little stands with the little plastic colored donuts on it. Many of you played with your children with those little things. She was, you know, picking those things up and all the time before, you know, she's feeling around for them and putting the things on and doing this. And, but today she picks up one and puts it on there and picks up another and puts it on there. And I thought, wow, she done that good. So I reached over and I took the big red one off and I moved it over right here and laid it down. I said, Caitlin, honey, get the red one that granddaddy just moved and put it back on there. She reached right over and got the red one and put it right back on her. That's the first time I knew she could see. I'm telling you, for a granddaddy my age, it's real easy for me to jump up and start doing some handsprings. I'm telling you, I got excited. But even a Baptist can get excited when Jesus shows up. I mean, God is awesome. You know, He does things wonderful so she could see. Now then, we got one more test. One more test. And whenever we left the hospital, they put a plug in her stomach. They put this plug in her stomach and told us, said, whatever you do, don't give her anything to eat or drink by mouth. Because if you do, it'll run right into her lungs and it'll kill her. I said, no problem. I got a great promise, Mark eleven twenty four. If you don't know Mark eleven twenty four, I mean, I knew Mark eleven twenty four, and I thought I knew how to use it, but I found out I didn't. I found out that you got to do it exactly God's way. When I tell you He's a King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and when He writes this book and He tells you you got to do it my way or else, you don't get it, and I don't deviate from my book. He means what He says. Wow, does He ever! I took Mark eleven twenty four, and you know what it says? Whatever you desire. What do I desire? For that valve in my grandbaby's throat to work like it's supposed to. Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you've received it, and it shall be yours. We don't believe that. If you'd asked me, do you believe I said, yes, I believe that. But I didn't. Because let me tell you what I did. I prayed and asked the Lord, according to Mark eleven twenty four, to restore that valve in her throat. And then I praised him for the next two months. And the doctor said, in two months, bring her back for a checkup. So I told him, I said, when we go back for a checkup, that valve's going to be working. But we took her back down there two months later, and they checked it, and it didn't work. I thought, what? It don't work? How could the Word of God have failed me? So I came back home. I repented of every sin, known and unknown. And I prayed again, according to Mark eleven twenty four. Worshipped and praised the king for the next two months, and we took her back to the doctor. And two months later, and it still don't work. I thought, what am I doing wrong? So I come back home, repented of every sin known and unknown, and took Mark eleven twenty four, read it a few times, quoted it a few times, and said, now, Father, you said right here, whatever I desire. And I desire the valve in my grandbaby's throat work. So I said, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to fix it. I want to thank you it's done. So I praised him, worshipped him for the next two months. We took her back, and it didn't work. We go through this till the tenth month, five times. The tenth month, the doctor checked it. He said, forget it. It ain't never going to work. If it hadn't worked in five months, it ain't never going to work. Now, his confession is very wrong. But he don't know that. He only goes by what he knows from his five physical senses. And what he's seen, that's what happened. 
But he never stepped into the world of faith. I said, Doc, I don't receive that curse. I guarantee, I don't know where I've missed it, but I'm going to find it. And when I do, that vow is going to work. I go back home and I open this Bible and I read Mark 11:24. And when somebody says, I've read the New Testament three times, so I know everything in there. Let me tell you, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. I read Mark 11 10,000 times probably, Mark 11:24, And I thought I knew how it worked, but I found out I didn't. I took Mark 11:24 and I took it apart word by word for two weeks. One verse, two weeks. Whatever I desire. What did I desire? I desired that valve to work in my grandbaby's throat. Well, I'm using Mark 11:24. The king says, whatever you desire, when you pray, believe. Is that what he said? Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe. Not two months later when you take her back to the doctor. That's not what I said. The verse you're using, I said, when you pray, believe you have received and you shall have it. But you've got to act on it or it ain't going to work. So I finally figured it out. It took me two weeks. At two weeks, I said, Lord, I repent. I have been an unbelieving believer of your promise in Mark eleven twenty four. But I repent. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, I desire the vow work in my grandbaby's throat. I ask you to fix it, and I'm going to thank you. It's done. I walked over to her house. I said, Toby, that's her daddy. I said, God's waiting on me and you. He said, what do you mean? I said, I prayed, and her vow's working right now. Guarantee it. So he said, what are you trying to tell me? I said, it's working. Feed her. He said, Thurman, you're crazy. I said, nope. I said, we've got to feed her right now. The Word of God says... Whatever I desire, and I desire that valve to work in her throat, he said, when I pray, not two months later, when I go down and wait for a doctor to tell me it's working. He said, I've got to believe his word right now. He said, Thurman, if I feed her something and that thing don't work, it's going to run into her lungs and she's going to choke to death. I said, Toby, the day you walked in the hospital room, that doctor told you she was not going to live. There was no way she could live. I said, did she live? Yeah. I said, the doctor said she would never take a step. She would never breathe. She'd never cough. I told you she would from the Word of God. Did she? Yes. I said, the doctor said she'd never see again. Can she see? Yes. The doctor said she'd never run, never move, never take a step. Can she do all those things? Yes. I said, don't you think it's time after all these miracles you take one more step with me and believe God? Okay. So what have I got to do? I said, feed her. You're the daddy. I said, I've prayed the prayer of faith. Now then, you give her, I said, you got anything to eat? He said, well, I got some applesauce here. I said, give her a bowl of applesauce. He said, I got a little bottle of orange juice here. I said, give it to her. He put it on the table. I said, Caitlin, honey, she was back in the bedroom playing. I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here. She come running in there. I said, jump up there and eat that applesauce and drink, drink that juice for granddaddy. She jumped up there and sat down in that chair, tucked a little spoon, eat that whole bowl of applesauce, drank about half that bottle of orange juice and jumped and run and played. And that vow has been working perfect ever since. Now, see, this will put you to the faith, your faith to the test. I mean, I've had people say, I have faith. And they hear this story. And when I tell them that, I've seen grandmothers cringe. You didn't feed her. I said, of course I did. If I hadn't of, you know what I'd still be feeding her with? A tube in her stomach. But I trusted the Word of God. Can we trust this Word? 
Yes, that's right. The child, the faith of a child. That's one of the kings said, just like Milton said the other day, if we don't come to him as little children, we shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. We've got to realize we're his children and he's our daddy. And he loves us, but he's a faith God. And if you don't believe the king can do what he said, he won't do it. You've got to trust him 100%. And your confession must line up. Well, today, Caitlin is eight years old. She's in the second grade. She's running and playing. And we get to see her all the time. She comes over to the ministry center and plays with the other little girls. And she is the most beautiful little eight-year-old girl. And she can outrun any girl in the second grade. When I asked God I wanted a supernatural little girl, he has given me a supernatural little girl. That's the awesome story of my granddaughter. And do we serve an awesome God, folks? Thank you. Praise the King. That's all I can say. Praise the King. Give him praise and glory and honor. He's our King. He's our Lord. He's our God. Nothing is impossible with the King. Thank you, Jesus. And He's our God. He's not my God. He's our God. And He can do anything and He'll do it for you. It's like He done it for me. He wants you to step into a world of faith. And He wants you to love Him and worship Him and praise Him and give Him glory and praise and honor because He's the King. He's the King. Let's give Him glory. Don't look to nobody but Jesus. He's the King, the Lord of glory. And He loves us, but He's a God of faith. And when you step into that world, you'll see the King do great and wonderful things for you. He's alive. He's a well. He's in heaven, but He's in us. And what a God we serve. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name for this day. Glory. I give it to you. We serve an awesome... If you can sit down, sit down. If you want to go home, you can go home. We're through for the night. Come back tomorrow night and we're going to talk more about faith. And if there's anybody here tonight that does, cannot come back tomorrow night, if you want to stay, we will pray for you. But if you can come back tomorrow night and get your faith built up in more promises, then you wait for prayer. But if you want to talk with us or do anything, we'll be around here for a little while. We don't have any place to go that's pressing. You know, I don't have anything. But some of you know I've got children out there. Uh, I promised them I'd try to be through by 745, but I didn't make it. <laughs> but out there, remember all the teachings and everything's out there, the CDs, DVDs. Uh, get those, listen to those. If you haven't got any of the ones that's got the power of the tongue, there's many different ones, CDs and DVDs. Get those, listen to those, and then learn how to talk. It will change your life and your world forever. It will change it. God's given me all these gifts and spoke to me all these times and done all these miracles for me. So I can go tell you how it works. He wants you to step into the same place. Because he's coming to purify the church because our king is coming soon. And he wants to come for a great and awesome church. Praise the king. Glory. What a Jesus we serve. Wow. He is awesome. What He can do, nothing is hard for God. Wow.
What a privilege to get to serve Him and to be His sons and daughters. We are blessed beyond our wildest dreams to say, God is my Father. Jesus is my brother. And the Holy Spirit is my comforter. And they're all in me. What a God we serve. So, if you want to be prayed for tonight, whatever you do, if you do want to be prayed for tonight, if you'll come up here, we'll talk to you, pray for you. If you want to ask us some questions, we'll be here for a little while to answer your questions if you have. And if you don't, well then, praise God, you're dismissed to go out there and get CDs, DVDs, and take what you want. And you're dismissed to do whatever you want to do, unless Milton has something else. Tomorrow night, 6.55, okay, we're going to start with some praise and worship for about 10 minutes. And uh, turn it over to Thurman by 710. So I would encourage you to come tomorrow night. uh, Open your spirits up in praise and worship, 655, tomorrow night. Okay? You're dismissed. And we'll teach you more about how to walk in faith tomorrow night. Praise God.